following is a presentation of the Outside Lens Radio Network. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Outside Blitz. I'm your host, the fabulous one, Scotty Freytown, joined once again by my good friend, the bootleg better, Boots. What's going on? Welcome back to the show post-Super Bowl. Oh, I was born on the peaks of Mount Buteus under a full moon. The bootleg better, <laughs> and who better to be? What's up, Scotty? Welcome, man. Uh, you know, it's, we're... we're a week away or a week um, out from uh, the Super Bowl here, a week removed, and uh, what a what a game! What a game! What a game! What a game! Very fun game. A lot of these Super Bowls uh, are notoriously bad. We've seen some notoriously bad Super Bowls within the last decade. This one, not the case. No. Very very fun Super Bowl to watch. We we uh, enjoyed it thoroughly. Yes, back um, and forth, big plays. Yeah, uh, big party. We had a big party over here. Lots of pulled pork. Lots of people. It was a good time. A little crowded, mm-hmm. but that's okay. That's all right. <laughs> that's all right. Good, good company. Yeah, good food, good barbecue, good company. We had a, a great time. Um, and, and man, what, what a, a, a hell of a time. I I got to tell you, something that really, in that Super Bowl, no, sort of non-football related, is, I, and I, I just got to make mention of it, the national anthem on this show mm-hmm. by Chris Stapleton. Mm-hmm was one of the best national anthems I've ever heard. He sounded great. Oh, my God. It was incredible. And and I wasn't, well, I'm not a huge Rihanna guy, and I wasn't a big fan of her performance and her lip syncing or whatever the case may be. Didn't see it. Yep, you didn't miss much. Um, when it came to Chris Stapleton and that national anthem, man, I, I had to stop what I was doing. I was cooking, and I stopped what I was doing and went, wow. <laughs> and I had to look over and actually see what was happening. Um, but I, I thought it was an excellent national anthem. But the the Super Bowl itself... Under two minutes. Yeah. Like, if you had the, uh, the prop. Yeah. <laughs> it was under two minutes. So, yeah. Thank you for that. Hey, there you go. And and you know what? Uh, Chris Stapleton, man, uh, killed it. But the Super Bowl itself, man, what a game. I loved every second of it. It was fun. It was back and forth. Highly competitive game. Uh, both teams showed up big. In this one, both both teams, uh, and we, we you know we talked about that Kansas City defense uh, a little bit. They showed up. We got Patty Mahomes doing Patrick Mahomes things showing up. Yeah, Jalen Hurts. Yeah, it was it was just a fun time. So let's jump into that real quick here. The here are here's your scores for your score for Super Bowl Sunday. The Kansas City Chiefs are once again for the second time in five years your Super Bowl champions. They beat the Philadelphia Eagles 38 to 35 on a last-minute field goal from Harrison Butker. Uh, you know, fun game. Like I said, Patrick Mahomes he didn't go crazy. He went 21 for 27, 182, but he had three touchdowns on the day. It was probably one of the more clutch performances we've seen, um, in spite of the numbers not reading it. Let's. I mean, Patrick Mahomes was very good in the second half of this game, in spite of an ankle injury. Uh, his ankle got got hurt even more going into halftime. He comes out after halftime. This is what the great ones do, right? They come out and they win football games. 
I remember someone on this show saying that the uh, Philadelphia Eagles were really good, and from a 53-man roster standpoint, mm-hmm. they had the advantage, except at three positions. Yep. <laughs> Quarterback, tight end, and kicker. Yep. And all three of those positions showed up, and when they showed up, they produced. It's not always about the volume, but about the quality and when a play turns the tide of a game. Yeah. Travis Kelsey, first touchdown of the game, boom, there you go. Yeah, Travis right. Kelsey had himself a damn good game in this one. I'll, I'll never understand it. <laughs> like, just, uh, can you double team him? Maybe. No. Maybe can you double team him and take your chances? I, I just, I'm just saying. I feel like Travis Kelsey, I, I mean, we're getting to that point now um, and and he's not he's about halfway through his career at this point. I believe he's 31 years old, and I believe that Travis Kelsey's getting ready to go down as the greatest tight end of all time. Defying Father Time. Yeah, he is um, until such time as the, Father Time. I mean, hit, him and Tony Gonzalez are are getting in a neck and neck type of territory here for greatest tight end of all time. I believe. I, I think that's where I'm at um, as far as those two go. Yeah, and and. He shows up when you need him to show up the most. Absolutely. Right? It's critical moments. Again, it's not always about the volume, but when the play turns the tide of a game. Yeah. When making an impact in the game. Yeah, he, he uh, man, he showed up. He turned the tide of this game on several occasions. It was it was quite the performance from him. Another guy that showed up, and we got to talk about him a little bit, seventh rounder or sixth rounder, Isaiah Pacheco. I think he was seventh rounder. Uh, Isaiah Pacheco, 15 carries, 76 yards. He had a touchdown, 5.1 average on the game. You know, uh, I still think he's the better running back between him and Isaiah or uh, um, uh, Clyde Edwards-Helaire. Absolutely. I don't think that Isaiah Pacheco is an every-down back, but he got enough work and did enough work in this game to get it done, especially against a really tough Eagles defense that, honestly didn't exactly show up against this Kansas City offense. Zero sacks on the day for the Eagles? What are we doing here? We've been talking about the Eagles' defensive line all season, right? Everyone, all the 60-plus sacks, 10, you know, double-digit sacks in each, with each defensive position, right? Defensive line position. Right. And not one of them, not a single one of them did anything, and it... It, it harkens to the fact that the Eagles don't blitz a lot, right? Because right. they've got all of that pressure from the D-line. Well, maybe, again, this calls into question the game plan. Okay, well, why not throw a blitz in there, too? Well, And you know what I think it calls into question? What, what I think really deserves to be mentioned in this situation is the Philadelphia Eagles, when we talked about it leading into this game, they had a cupcake schedule. And they, whether it was in the regular season and whether it was in the playoffs, they had the easiest regular season schedule. Then you go into the playoffs and they face the number six seed New York Giants, who finished, what, 9-7-1? and one. And then they went on and took on a quarterbackless San Francisco 49ers team, right? And they go to the, they go to the Super Bowl on that, on that. And that's not to say they didn't play a good game in this one, because they did. They did. They had a 10-point lead at halftime, had a 7-point lead. At, uh, late in the fourth quarter. Here's the thing, though. The Eagles 
took care of business when they needed to take care of business, right? It wasn't like they were frauds, mm. but because you look at the score, the final score of the game, 38-35. Like that doesn't that doesn't look it doesn't it wasn't fraudulent to me. The Eagles made those plays, they scored those touchdowns. So how can you you know, how can you say they had a weak schedule or they were weak? <clears throat> well because when they showed up, they showed up throughout the Super Bowl. Well, I can say it, and here's why. Look, look <clears throat> here's here's gonna be the logic. Number one, the Kansas City Chiefs defense, as good as they've been throughout the, the playoffs, um, the Kansas City Chiefs de- defense truly isn't anything to write home about. I know they had a, a nice playoff run. They, they executed some really nice game plans. Steve Spagnuolo, he does a great job with those game plans, uh, really bringing a lot of blitz against Cincinnati. We remember how often Chris Jones was in the backfield smacking around Joe Burrow. They knew that the Cincinnati Bengals had a bad offensive line. Um, the Eagles were a team that I look at their defense, for example, they got 38 dropped on them, right? And I understand it's Patrick Mahomes, but those, and I understand it's Travis Kelsey, but those are three positions, Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, Harrison Buckley. And and the Philadelphia Eagles, for as touted as their defense was, right, they went out and got smacked around by this Chiefs offense quite often. I, I'm blown away by the fact that they gave up the second half lead that they did. Yeah. I'm blown away that, that the Chiefs scored on every single drive in the second half. I'm blown away by the fact that, that the Philadelphia Eagles for as touted as their defense was, but then again, you look back at that schedule and you look at back at the teams they took on, like especially in the playoffs. For as many and I talked about it last show too. Okay, you took on the, the San Francisco 49ers with no quarterback. How many how many opportunities was the Eagles offense afforded? And everybody to and, and you mentioned the, the rushing touchdowns last show. Yeah, they got four rushing touchdowns. They, but, they did it again, yeah, but in this game. Yeah. How often were they given an opportunity against the San Francisco 49ers on the offensive side of the football? They were given a lot. Oh, until the end of the game. Yeah, that, that 49ers team couldn't defend themselves. They they really yeah. they had no offense to properly take control the ball and have a time of possession and the Eagles were kept getting afforded these opportunities after opportunities after opportunities and we saw the same thing with the Giants game too the Giants I mean Daniel Jones let's be real I, I he had a good year but but is Daniel Jones a, a Patrick Mahomes or you know is is he a really that good of a no he's not that good of a quarterback we know it is and the Giants were sort of fraudulent in this situation too. 9-7-1, and one, back their way into the playoffs. Sure, they beat a Vikings team with a 31st-ranked defense. I mean, like, and the Eagles got that sort of cupcake win. I, I just, I see this Philadelphia Eagles team, and they finally took on a real squad. They finally went up against a real team, and they got slapped around a little bit on the offensive side of the ball. I don't think the Chiefs' defense is anything to write home about, but they, and their game plan has been good through the playoffs until this game. But the Eagles team, from a personnel standpoint, didn't really have any true weaknesses from a strictly a Not personnel standpoint. Not at all. Um, so the Chiefs, and the, for the Chiefs to outscore that Eagles defense, maybe it's just a, and I hate to put it like this, maybe the Eagles defense were frauds in this situation. Well, they definitely got shown up in the second half. And here's what really stuck out to me. We talk about Mahomes and Kelsey and yep. Bugner. We talk about Jalen Hurts and, and all these guys. Mm-hmm. But the one guy we, well, the I hadn't accounted for, and I guess the Eagles didn't either, was Andy Reid. Yeah. Um, He's he, special. He outcoached 
Nick Sirianni at the end of the game. Because at the end of the game, in the fourth quarter, when Jared McKinnon uh, gives himself up and, and slides down, I'm thinking, how come he didn't just score? Right. Until I, I looked and I saw, oh, the Eagles don't have any timeouts. <laughs> yep. Well, it was a minute, you know, 38 or minute 40 left. And I'm thinking, they're just going to kick this field goal and leave the Eagles with just so little time to do anything. <laughs> was like, it eight seconds? Yeah. I can I leave, <laughs> either leave you a minute. Because they wanted, because the Eagles wanted McKinnon to score. Right. Right. So, oh, yeah. <clears throat> so let me give you the ball back with a minute 45 left. Yeah. Okay. Or I can give you the ball back with eight seconds. Yeah. Yeah. It was so, it was smart. And, and also, beautiful I. Beautiful coaching job. It, it not only was a great coaching job, but it was. Terrible just, time management by the Eagles. But it was also excellent. Uh, an excellent mindset. Also, like, got to give credit, Jarek McKinnon. When McKinnon had that, he could have scored easy. You I wonder, mean, him, you wonder if he was told, right? You know, hey, if you have the opportunity, you know, do it. Do right. What, do what's best for for this situation. Yeah, and and I I feel like you know, a lot of it was also probably Jarek McKinnon He's because an excellent he, player by yeah, the way. Yeah, in a former Viking. I I mean, and he has developed himself into like someone super special on the field. Yes. But, I mean, he uh, it, that's a veteran move there. That really is. Yeah. That's a veteran move. I'm going to yeah. slide down. I'm going to burn that clock. We're going to kick that field goal. We're going to be happy-go-lucky. And, and even if Bucker misses it, worst-case scenario, we go to OT. Yeah. And we've been working you anyway. So. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. it's it was a, a brilliant move by Jarek McKinnon. And, he, you know, it's some people have, like, mixed emotions about it. You know, where it's like, oh, man, you know, he could have scored and – Gone home to his kids and said, yeah, I scored a touchdown in the Super Bowl against the Eagles. No, no, no. Yeah. Jarek McKinnon yeah. slid down, and uh, he's the reason they won that game. And yeah. he gets to go home with a ring. Yeah, or you get the argument, well, how come he couldn't have just scored, and then the Eagles would have gotten the ball back, and we could have had another. Well, no. No. I want to no. win. We're trying to win. We're not trying to entertain you. Yeah, I so want to win. We want to win. <laughs> like, duh. Yep. And on the Eagles' side of the ball, I mean, they – Hertz had a good game, 27 for 38, 304. He had a touchdown in the game. Devontae Smith, seven receptions for 100 yards. A.J. Brown, six receptions for 96 and a touchdown. Dallas Goddard, six for 60. Jalen Hurts had 15 carries for 70 yards. He scored three rushing touchdowns on the day. I mean, it was a, a hell of a show being put on, especially in the first half by that Eagles offense. Um, and then they got shut down. I mean, it, 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 if you look at the, the – they scored – 24 points in the first half and just 11 in the second half, which I, I think is kind of the tail of the tape there. You know, we, I, I don't know that we expected that out of this situation. If you look at what the Chiefs did, it was 7.7.7 points, 21 points in the first three quarters, and then 17 in the fourth to take control of this thing. I mean, the Chiefs are something else, but I mean, the Eagles offense looking good. The defense just kind of left them hanging out to dry, did they not? Well, the offense looked great in the first half, and, mm -hmm. um, and even with Hurts' fumble, and, this, and with that fumble, it it didn't hurt them, mm -hmm. right? Because they still came right back and they scored it, and they scored. So that tells me that Jalen Hurts is one of the most mentally tough quarterbacks in the league. Yep. Right <clears throat> to come back from that on the grandest stage of them all, mm -hmm. right, so to speak, and and 
still continue to produce even after you had a critical fall. It's amazing performance by Jalen Hurts, first off. Yeah, uh, health-wise, you know, if Jalen Hurts can hold up from a health perspective, I think he'll be one of the best quarterbacks in this league for a long time. It's, it's going to be a different kind of story because he is a running quarterback and he's going to have to learn how to then and it seems that he is learning how to throw the ball effectively he's got two of the best receivers at his disposal right now and Devontae smith and aj brown um well, both both those guys had great years well speaking of, of learning now he's going to have to learn a new offense possibly depending yeah. on who you know we'll get to that you know later but jalen hurts uh, if you didn't know this he had to learn a new offense every year since the age of 16, pretty much. Yeah. Because he's had new offensive coordinators every single season. And this was the first year in the NFL that he had, or in his life, that he had the same offensive coordinator two straight years. And you saw the progression from the first year to the second year. Right. I just, I just wonder how what's, you know, what we'll talk about later will affect him going forward. Yeah, he it was it, it, consistency is key for him. Um, but if you if you look at Hertz and his current situation, 27 for 38, 304 and a touchdown in this game. I mean, he, he's learning how to be a passer. Really, he's he's learning how to, how to pass the ball effectively, which I, I he needs to do because he can't Running quarterbacks, and I've stated this on several times, pocket passers are what survive in this league. Running quarterbacks, generally speaking, don't survive in the NFL. They get popped, they get hit, I mean, they get hurt, they, they have knee injuries. They, yeah. I mean, we, we've seen the RG3s of the world. Yeah. We saw Lamar Jackson go through his situation and, and get injured. We, we got to see Cam Newton. Cam Newton, that's another one. You know, you see these running quarterbacks, and, you know, Russ Wilson for his first year is a great example because Russ Wilson, you know, he, he was a running quarterback. And he learned how to throw the ball effectively in, in yes. Seattle, you know. And that was his, he was always at his best when he was making play, secondary reaction plays mm -hmm. on the move. And some of that in the last couple of years because he was running for his life. Yeah. But, you know, even though he, he's the same type of quarterback, he took a lot of hits. Yeah, he you did. Know, these guys take a lot of hits when they're running because the NFL game at the quarterback position is predicated from playing from the pocket. Yes. So, but if you have that secondary reaction, secondary uh, ability, that's a plus. However, the game still goes back to playing from the pocket yes. at the quarterback position. I agree. I and and I think Jalen Hurts. You know, that's that's one thing he's going to have to learn is just how to be an effective pocket passer. Um, at, at some point, it's great that he has that ability to run. It's great that he has the ability to be mobile. It's it's excellent, but. Not being able, like what what happens when Jalen Hurts can't run? You know what what happens? You know we, you got to see it, um, and I hate to take it to a college level, but you you saw it with Caleb Williams out at USC this year. As soon as that knee was hurt, everybody just said, "All right, well we're just going to dip back into coverage. He can't run anymore." Yeah. And in Hurts' case, it's even it, it's even more because it's a shoulder. Yeah, right. Yep. So he still run. But that shoulder affects his passing. And that was another thing, is is late in this game, you, you know, eight seconds left, it was the last play of the game, and they were getting ready to take that Hail Mary shot, and he couldn't do it. Wasn't a whole lot on that one. No, man. no, he couldn't do it. That shoulder was hurt, and he only got it to about the 20-yard line. I mean, that's... You wonder if somebody tipped it, and it's like, <clears> no. <throat> no. Maybe he maybe it slipped out of his hand before he was ready to throw it. Maybe. Yeah. But I think a lot of that was the shoulder. Yeah, he, he threw a nasty, short wobbler that, that only, I mean, went about 40 yards, if yeah. that. You know, I mean, it, was, it wasn't it was good. Uh, and, and, you know, the... 
you know, it was it was just incomplete, and that was that. And the Kansas City Chiefs walk out with a Super Bowl victory. Andy Reid with his second Super Bowl, and and uh, man, that's <laughs> what a what a game, what a what a fun time. The Chiefs get it done, 38-35. They are your world champions, but it takes dynasty a, time. It is. It's starting to look dynasty like a dynasty time. Is I gotta ask before we we start heading into off season stuff. I mean, is Patrick Mahomes on his way to being the greatest quarterback of all time? Are we gonna? Are, are ten years from now? Are we gonna be talking about Patty Mahomes as as being up there with Brady or possibly better than Brady? I mean, what are we gonna be talking about with this guy? He's better than Brady naturally. Right. Right. At just at the at the position. Now, playing the position properly, you know, mechanics standpoint, Brady is, is, is the better at mechanics and yeah, because that's what Brady's game was fundamentally it was fundamentally sound. Right. Technically sound. And that's what kept him in the league for so many years. Now Mahomes, he throws off of different platforms, and you know, he's, he's, you know, the the side passes and, the, and yeah. just the odd angle passes. You know, it looks great and it gets there because he's got a heck of an arm. But he, he's a showman out there. Yeah, yeah, he, he, great showman, but he's showing off two rings. I know that. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, a lot of the uh, the running around and stuff like that. He, he he puts on a show every time he's out there. You just never know what Patrick Mahomes is going to do next. He's a very instinctive player. Yeah. Uh, and, and he does some innovative things. I mean, as far as like the way he throws the ball, the way he moves, the way he escapes the pocket and make extends plays. Yeah. He's a special player. Obviously, Patrick Mahomes could very well go down as one of, if not the greatest of all time. I think we're going to be going to be talking about him. Elite. Um, yeah. And uh, we do have off-season stuff going on. Uh, we, we're going to, jumping into the news around the league, starting with the Chiefs, the Chiefs do have some things to think about, but one thing they won't have to think about is Andy Reid. He says, I think I'm going to stick around for a while after that Super Bowl victory. So you're going to see Andy Reid still sticking around as a head coach with the Kansas City Chiefs, and uh, who can blame him, right? I, I think he's one of the greatest head coaches of all time, um, and I think the uh, the Kansas City Chiefs really are going to have a you know an excellent uh, excellent head coach and an excellent run here as long as Andy Reid's at the helm, don't you? Mm, I, I guess I, I don't know. You guess? I, here's the thing. At at what point is enough enough are are you are you willing to to go through another season and then another year knowing what's been going on with him I, I don't know I don't want to talk too much about the personal the personal life but you're at the pinnacle now right right, right? You're, at, you're at the apex so is it time to walk away could can you just mic drop and then hand the keys over to you know Eric B into me, but that's another. Yeah, yeah, we'll be talking about that in a second here. Um, and also after the Super Bowl, post Super Bowl, Chiefs backup quarterback Chad Henney retires uh, post the Super Bowl. He said, uh, "I I think he's been in the year the league for what, twelve years, something like that." He's it's been a while, but he leaves the with more Super Bowl rings than Aaron Rodgers as a backup quarterback. I think I got to tell you, so Chad Henney, you know, you know, we remember him going to the Dolphins. We remember, you know, how bad it was with him going over there. And then we remember Chad Henney kind of getting picked up as a backup. I believe at this point in time in the system that they're in, Chad Henney was, now that he's retired, it's was, um, one of the most high-end backup quarterbacks in the league, hands down. 
the perfect backup quarterback. And yeah. The re- and the results bear what I just said. Yeah. He um, When it came time, he produced, he delivered exactly what a backup quarterback is supposed to do. Every time. Every single time. Yeah. Chad Henney, you know, he started multiple games. Yes, he did. Right? And delivered in playoff games and delivered. The best backup quarterback of all time? Uh, maybe. Actually, I, I think he's probably one of the best, one of, if not the best backup quarterback of all time. I think when when teams have an excellent backup quarterback, you can you can win more games than not. I, sometimes is a team only as good as its backup quarterback? It maybe uh, you know. I mean, Chad Henney. You remember uh, uh, Mahomes? He had the dislocated kneecap for a minute there, and yeah. when he dislocated his kneecap, Henney came in for four games. And they went what three and one in that stretch. There you go. I, I mean, it was it was pretty exactly impressive. What you need from yeah. a backup? Exactly what you need from a backup. Don't lose it. Don't you know we don't we don't need you to be hero. Right. Okay. Just keep us keep us in contention. Be consistent. Don't turn the ball over. We'll get it done. Game management. Exactly. Yep. At its finest. Yeah. And and I think a guy that that you know. And speaking of backup quarterbacks, you know, I think a guy. The Eagles have a good backup quarterback over there um, with the old, uh, mustache mania and Gardner Minshew. I, I think I think he actually is is going to be one of the more high end backup quarterbacks. You know, for a spot start here and there, and and you know I don't think he's going to you know if you need to start him half the season, obviously it's not going to turn out well. But it, it didn't turn out well for me in my playoff. <laughs> you, yeah. <laughs> We'll talk about that today. But the Eagles, um, well, well, the Chiefs, the Chiefs also have another issue on their hands now because the Commanders, and this is the big news around the league within the last twenty-four hours, the Commanders bring in offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy as their new offensive coordinator. So the Chiefs lose their OC. Eric Bieniemy, we have talked about him for three straight off seasons about a guy um, that is. Uh, uh, you know, going to be a possible head coach that should be a head coach. He's he's been interviewed for head coaching jobs, but nobody seems to be bringing him on board. And the the most the biggest thing that we can think of, and in, in this situation, is maybe they just believe that Eric Bieniemy is is a product of Andy Reid. Maybe they believe that this is all Andy Reid, and that Eric Bieniemy has been shielded by Andy Reid, and and he's just not a really good offensive coordinator. It's just all Andy Reid. And I can see where certain folks are coming from in that situation, but Eric Bieniemy, now that he's he sees it, and Eric Bieniemy realizes, all right, I need to get out of Andy Reid's shadow. I need, and that's a big shadow. That's a big shadow of a guy, big red out there. I mean, imagine the size of that shadow. But he realizes he has to get out of the shadow of Andy Reid. He needs to go to a different team, show he can OC anywhere, and then maybe at that point Eric Bieniemy will get hired on as a head coach if he's successful with the Washington Commanders. I think Ron Rivera makes this hire. It's a great hire in bringing in Eric Bieniemy. I think he's an excellent offensive coordinator, and I think Eric Bieniemy is going to turn the Washington Commanders' uh, offense depending on the quarterback situation. Because let's face facts, Taylor Heineke, as good as 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 much as teams play for him. Because the team does play for him over there. I don't know if he's the type of quarterback that's going to fit the Eric Bieniemy system. Well, let me ask you a question. To those who ask the question, well, how come he hasn't gotten the job? With what you just said, isn't, 
Isn't that the process for offensive coordinators? They come from a, a, a coaching tree. Yeah, uh, they, the the Sean McVay coaching tree. You talk about the the Shanahan coaching tree. Mm-hmm. So that's how most offensive coordinators get their positions as head coaches, right? Coming from somebody else's tree, right? So why wouldn't Eric Bieniemy just been able to get another job, get get a head coaching job within the last three seasons, knowing what teams had already known and seen right. in the last five years, yeah. in the last four or five seasons. And I'm with you. I think that, that Eric Bieniemy should have been a head coach yeah. at some point yeah. already. So now, because all of these teams were, were too stupid to realize what was right in front of them on Main Street, as they yep. say, on <laughs> national television yep. in Super Bowl games, they ignored it. Yep. And That's now it. he goes... From the penthouse to the outhouse. Yep. <laughs> the commanders, it, I mean... They're a mess right now. But one thing, one thing I will say about Washington, if you if you look at what the commanders have over there, if you think about, like, just, just taking a step back and thinking about what the commanders have and the type of system that Eric Bieniemy is, is has shown that he runs over in Kansas City, think about that. Think about it. Jahan Dotson's over there. Scary Terry McLaurin's over there. Right. Curtis Samuel's over there. Brian Robinson over there. You roster know, wise, yes, they're loaded. Very good. And and their their running game hasn't been anything to write about it, write home about in Washington. But look at what Kansas City did. They didn't have much of a running game these past few seasons. It's been Patrick Mahomes and then everybody else, but and Travis Kelsey and everybody else, but. If you look, so he doesn't need to rely on them getting a star running back. The only thing I think is missing from that offense that should really turn this whole thing, put put it all together for Eric Bieniemy in Washington, is a quarterback. You give them a quarterback over there, we're having a completely different conversation about the Washington Commanders. Well, I think the offensive line needs a little bit of work too, mm-hmm. also. But you know, from an organizational standpoint, like Eric Bieniemy's just going to be calling the plays. He's not going to be able to, you know go, as they say, shop for the groceries, as they say. Right. Right? So he's just going to be, you know, cooking the meal and trying to do what's best for the team and what's best for the offense right. with what the organization will provide. Here's the problem. you got to worry about this organization providing those things. Yep. And that's that's going to be the big question. You know, it can the Washington Commanders provide that? They do have the 16th pick in the NFL draft this year. So they they are in a, in a decent position to find themselves a quarterback of the future. Imagine yeah. imagine a situation where an Eric Bieniemy gets a hold of a guy like Hendon Hooker. I think that would be an excellent excellent, excellent pickup. <laughs> excellent, <laughs> yeah, that's my dudes. Hendon Hooker. Yeah, yeah, he's he's a, he'd be a great pickup, and I think he would be a, an excellent fit for what Eric Bieniemy likes to do. Um, he'd be a great fit in Washington, in my opinion. I, cool. I just. Think that's perfect. Riverboat Ron is already gambling because he's got he's already stated that Sam Howell is going to be the starter. Yeah, next yep. next year. Oh, the job's up for grabs. Eh, no, no, you no. know <laughs> Howell's going to be the starter. So first and foremost, Eric Bieniemy is going to have to be you know worry about how can we get a six foot pocket. He, he's tough and he's gritty mm-hmm. and he's athletic. Sam Howell, he's all those things. Yep. But you know what can he produce? You know. Yeah, it'll 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 be something to see if Eric Bieniemy can can develop him. Now that Eric Bieniemy has been hired in Washington, uh, the Chiefs are looking for a new offensive coordinator right now. The front runner 
is former Bears head coach and current chief senior assistant and QB coach Matt Nagy. Um, he, I don't know, and, and he's he's uh, set to be promoted to the new offensive coordinator position. He's the leader anyway for that. I don't know how I feel about that because Matt Nagy, uh, he does a lot of interesting things. I think he does a lot of trick plays, so it could fit the Chiefs' scheme in a way. It's a strange one to me because Biennemi was so unsuccessful with the Bears outside of one season um, where he had Mitchell Trubisky looking like Joe Montana at certain points. A lot of questions there. I, I Do you think Matt Nagy would be a good fit for that offensive coordinator spot? I have not seen any consistency from any offense that Matt Nagy uh, had produced with, exactly. with the Bears. I didn't see any any anything dynamic. I didn't see anything aggressive. It was just kind of there. The Bears, it, the yeah. Bears, always just it was just kind of there. So right. I, I mean, yeah, you know if. If what everyone talks about Eric Bieniemy, oh well, he was just a product of Andy Reid. Then I guess Matt Nagy will be an excellent offensive coordinator. If, right. If you believe it was all Andy Reid and not anything to do with Eric Bieniemy's talent. Yeah, I agree. I think I think Eric Bieniemy um, was good for them. I don't know Matt Nagy. I I did see some innovation out of him when he was in Chicago, especially in that first year. And then in the the latter years, you know, when we're talking is, I believe he was there for four years total. I, in the latter years of the Mitchell Trubisky era, eh, not so much. I mean, we, we had questions about it. Part of that was Mitchell Trubisky. Right, 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 right. But, um, <laughs> you know, and that's, and that's the other thing. Yeah. Matt Nagy's going to have Patty Mahomes, not, yeah. not Mitchell Trubisky. So it, it could be a different type of animal over there. I think, I would tend to think that the league and Super Bowl MVP understands offenses a lot more than Mitchell frickin' Trubisky. <laughs> you know, that's a that's like a night and day thing. Yes, sir. But the the it could be a good fit. I, I do think it could be a good fit. It's just strange that that he got that position because of his lack of success in Chicago. But maybe hey, you know what? Andy Reid might be overseeing things too. So that was that's might be why they're so comfortable with this situation. I think him and Andy Reid could get on the same page here as far as that offense goes. We'll see, but that could be a thing. And on the other side of the ball, the Eagles have all kinds of stuff going on. Um, they lose their offensive coordinator. First of all, the Cardinals hired, well, the Colts hired Eagles offensive coordinator Shane Steichen as their new head coach. Um, he was a damn good offensive coordinator this year. He's got to find his quarterback of the future over there with the Colts, right? I, I mean, that's that's what they're missing, and they need a wide receiver too over there. There's work to be done. They, uh, I will say this about Shane Stein. I, he and the Eagles had a dominant run game. Mm-hmm. The philosophy, you saw what it was week in, week out. That's what the Colts have been trying to get with uh, Jonathan Taylor over there yep. at the running back <clears throat> position. So, yeah, I think it's very run-oriented offense. It, it's going to be... It'll be it'll be very successful if you go by what we've seen the last two years with the Eagles. Um, but you know, you hire the losing offensive coordinator of the Super Bowl. Yeah, and, and I mean, to be fair, he he did. To he, be fair, to be fair, they they did have a decent uh, showing in that in that Super Bowl. I do yeah. think Shane Steichen. Um, yeah, I think he's a he's a good offensive coordinator. He needs a quarterback, and and that running game was so good, but. Uh, uh, the main reason that that running game was so good was 
Jalen Hurts, well, I mean, he's a weapon. Yes. And, and you know, to have a guy like Jalen Hurts, he's going to be looking for that same type of quarterback over there with the Colts. you got to find one. you got to find a quarterback on that level. <clears throat> you got to find, you know, I always was a huge pre- uh, lover of Andrew Luck. I'm a card-carrying member of the Andrew Luck fan club. <clears throat> I've said that several times on this show. you got to find a, uh, a player sort of of that caliber, right? At the quarterback position, mm-hmm. I, I think... Uh... I think they're going to try to look to uh, C.J. Stroud yeah. because he has uh, running capability, but he can deliver in a passing game. Yeah. And I, I think that's what they'll they'll try to do. And I wonder if if the Eagles move on from Miles Sanders, if Miles Sanders doesn't end up in Indianapolis. And and he could. And be a, you know, he would have, team partner yeah. of Jonathan Taylor. I think he's going to wind up being RB2 over there if he yeah. does go over there. A high-end RB2, mind you. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's good for a couple of – hundred and some odd yard games every year that are just out of this world. But, yeah. you know, looking over at, at – um, He's got talent, but he's not the number one guy. He's no, not he's, top guy. he's not. And and I, I really do think that, you know, the Colts, and, and we're going to see them, they do have the number four pick in the draft. I think you're going to wind up seeing them trade up with the Bears. I, I do see that coming. I do think they want that number one pick. They want their guy, and they're willing to pay the extra time, or the extra money, the draft capital, whatever they got to do to get that guy. Yeah. I do believe that the Indianapolis Colts will move up in this draft and say, "All right, now we've got our quarterback of the future." Uh, and and the Bears want to trade out down out of that spot anyway. Yeah, I mean, and I think that the Colts know and understand and realize that they have to get up past the Houston Texans in this draft in order to make that work. Yeah, yeah. So I mean that that's a thing. They also the Eagles go out and they lose their defensive coordinator. Uh, and I called this, or the defensive coordinator Jonathan Gannon goes out gets hired by the Arizona Cardinals. Called it. You did. <laughs> I saw you this did. one. I had a feeling that was what was going on. Gannon was getting a lot of uh, a lot of love. He, there was a lot of traction for for Jonathan Gannon, and uh, he did interview for that Arizona Cardinals spot. Sure enough, he gets. Hired on by the Arizona Cardinals. He wound up as the favorite leading into the Super Bowl. Gets hired. I like Jonathan Gannon, but talk about work to do over there in Arizona. That defense was, I mean, just makes you want to throw up in your mouth a little, right? Gannon. It, it's not a, um, a stretch to say he he bit off a little more than he could chew yeah. at this point. Um, dealing with not going to have a quarterback for pretty much uh, – Pretty much most of the year because uh, Kyler Murray injured that was the ACL. Uh, yep. he injured it late, late in the season. So that's going to put him behind the eight ball mm-hmm. in the in the first year period. Now you got to worry about the the age and depth of the defense yes. of Arizona, especially the age. And you got to worry about the age of the offensive line in Arizona. Mm-hmm. It's you know uh, median age is uh, thirty five, I believe. So. There's some work to do, and it's going to take at least two years. Yeah, they're going to have to go younger. They're going to have to go faster. Yeah. Especially, uh, you know, his bread and butter, running a defense, his bread and butter has been pass rush. You can't get a good pass rush if these guys aren't fast and strong and young, and and he's going to have to move into a younger situation there. uh, They've got a few pieces Mm -hmm. in Arizona. But they they need a lot more. Yep, on and the, the defensive side. And the Eagles have said that they're currently looking for suitable replacements for both offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator Nick Sirianni, saying we have a lot of good in-house options for those vacant positions. 
To be perfectly honest with you, I don't know that the Eagles have that many good in-house options for those positions. Am I missing something here? I I think they need to be shopping right now. Yeah, they <laughs> to, to lose both <laughs> in this in the same offseason. Right. Woo. That you know, for a second year head coach and Nick Sirianni, that's a tall, tall, tall task to try to fix uh in the season. I think we might look at a uh, at a a bit of a, a come to Jesus meeting yeah. with the Eagles and Aiden eight next season. Yeah, yeah. The the Eagles and the thing about Nick Sirianni or, and I, I talked about it at or length. Nine and eight. Yeah, nine and eight. Uh, I've talked about it with, with about Nick Sirianni and I, I mentioned it about I think it was two shows ago. He sort of had an easy ride in this season. You know, he he had a good record. They were the number one seed. He had a great. Uh, um, Set of players, great roster, but he also had two really good coordinators. Really good, and and so he sort of had a ride on easy street there, and now he's going to have to put it all back together on his own without his two coordinators that were yeah. so instrumental. And here's the thing: and when he had to coach at the end, of, I'll go back to it. When he had to coach, you had to the time management. Yeah, at the end of the game, there's delay of games, and there's all of this stuff going on in the fourth quarter. That's just bad time management, and right. that falls directly on the head coach. Yeah, that that's piddly shit. That should yes. be ready. That should be handled. Handled. Yeah. You, there should at least be one timeout in your back pocket in the last two minutes of the game. You should have at least one to either freeze a kicker or whatever, or something. Or call the timeout before you know you call a couple of plays that you might need to get in scoring position, something. Yeah. So, you know, that showed his lack of coaching experience and his uh, lack of time management skills. I agree. At the end of that. So, and the, the Eagles also have other stuff going on. They've got their corner, James Bradbury, who, you know, uh, he, he was instrumental. In, it was in, a hold. It was a hold. And he said it was a defensive hold, but he has said, and he had a great year this year, James Bradbury. He did. did. It was, he had a, an excellent year. It was really a bounce back year. He, he played so well for the Panthers. He goes over to the Giants. He doesn't do well there. Then he comes to the Eagles and has a career resurgence. But uh, after this, this season, he says he won't play for cheap. He's in a contract here, and he'll be discussing an extension with the Eagles first. But we could very well see James Bradbury back out there in free agency. I mean, uh, if you're the Eagles and you're, you're on the brink of possibly losing James Bradbury, how nervous are you to be losing your number two corner on top of it? Hey, so, D coordinator, offensive coordinator. Now you might lose one of the top guys in your secondary. Yep. Just pay the man. Pay him. Pay him. Hand the money over. Give him the just money. Just pay him. <laughs> I you agree. Don't, you don't want him going across the street like he just did. You don't want him to go to the Commanders. Right. Yeah. Right for big money because they'll pay him. They will. Bezos will pay him. They, they need him. They or need him. Whoever's going to own that. Yeah, whoever whoever's gonna buy out the commanders yeah. in the, in the hopefully the near future, you got to get Dan Snyder out of there. But I digress. Right. Um, yeah, that that's what's going on there. And there, I mean, there's a lot of moves happening. We were just talking about Matt Nagy. Let's talk about the Bears organization real quick. Possibly moving sites. The Bears organization purchases the new Arlington Heights property to build a new get this enclosed stadium for the Chicago Bears. What in the hell are we doing here? I don't like it. I don't, uh, you know, we're I'm, not big fans of change around here. Right. <laughs> we're more, more, we lean more traditionalist around here. Yeah. And as a traditionalist, you need Chicago to be an outdoor 
football team. Yes. You need to have that advantage in December, January, when teams got to come up here mm-hmm. and play in the cold. And, you know, t- that's why I love when I see the uh, the, the Patriots go down to uh, Miami and, and, and get dusted in the first, in the yeah. first couple, two or three weeks of the season. <laughs> and then late in the year, Miami's got to go up to, you know, Ice New cold. England or Buffalo yep. at the end of the year and, you know, deal with those temperatures. That's a, a built-in advantage, and it should be. Yes. Right? No need to, to, to play indoors in Chicago. Yeah. Come you, on, man. It's, talk, come on. It's the, the Windy City. The the Midway? Yeah. Playing indoors? What are we doing? Come here? on. What are we doing here? Come on. Mike Singletary has <clears throat> slapped you. <laughs> if you dare put a dome over that. Dick Butkus would, would gouge an eyes out. That's right. right. <laughs> Come on, man. It's it's incredible to me. I, I couldn't believe when I when I saw that they were building an indoor stadium potentially in Arlington Heights. Um I knew they were moving to Arlington Heights, but indoor stadium blows my mind. I it couldn't just believe blows, it. Blows, period. Yeah, yeah, it blows, period. I agree. <laughs> it's a mess. I you know, I've I've now, in the next couple of years, before this stadium actually gets completed, I'm going to have to go out to Soldier Field and actually see them play, the Vikings play out there at Soldier Field at least once. At least one time. At least one time. Just say, uh, and go out to the, and, and I think Soldier Field, and let's be real, Soldier Field is a dump. I mean, it's an old dump. I'm not a, but at the same time, there's a, a legacy there. Yes. There's a legacy. Classic. Yeah, and it's that's. Classic, old school beat them up football and you need those teams right and you and that, that it's the same with the Packers I don't like the, I don't like Lambeau Field I think it's a dump but at the same time you know it's still a classic field that you got to go to yeah. you know it is what it is it, yeah. it's I They'll never I, put a dome over that I, I guarantee you. yeah that field will stand until the the end of days Til, yep <laughs> cockroaches Oh yeah, and, and Lambeau Field. Yep, that's it. I mean, and so I mean, they're they're talking about indoor stadium. So you might see them uh, moving down to Arlington Heights there in Chicago. Get ready. Um, teams that will remain with certain things, though, the Vikings around that division. The Vikings intend to remain with a three-four defense under new defense coordinator Brian Flores. You know, I like it and I don't because I don't think that that uh, Daniel Hunter needs to be in a three-four. I think a guy like Daniel Hunter needs to be a hand in the dirt defensive end, and Brian Flores needs to kind of go with that. But then also with the Vikings, we're seeing a situation starting to unfold. Zadarius Smith puts his Minnesota home up for sale. Oh, oh, yeah. Does it? Maybe do, he's moving into a condo. Uh, you know, maybe. Who knows? I hope so. But <laughs> you, you might not see Zadarius Smith with the Vikings here pretty soon. Brian Flores is going to have his work cut out for him. Um, he says he also wants players that are going to be playing, being be capable of playing multiple positions. So, and and he he wants the versatility. I can understand that. But man, it's it's getting a little interesting over there in Minnesota. New defensive coordinator. New look defense, new players, new new everything. I, I don't I this is wild. This is a big change. We didn't think it would be this big of a change. This is a monster change coming from Brian Flores right now. Yeah, it's gonna it, it it's gonna hurt for a little bit because again of the uh the age aspect. Because yes. you've got old players and you got young players yep. at at the same time and on the same defense that wasn't that great to begin with. Mm-hmm. So there's going to be a learning period for young players. There's going to be a, a de-learning period for older players. And yes. it's going to hurt for at least a year, maybe two. It will. It's going to be uh, one of those things where, where everybody goes, uh, 
what in the hell are we doing here on the defensive side of the ball? I know we've been saying that for the last two years now with the Vikings. What the hell yeah. are we doing on the defensive side of the ball? But, um, yeah, Brian Flores, we're going to see what he does. We're going to see uh, just how he handles that situation. It's going to be interesting. Um, there were another team that was getting ready to hire him as a uh, defensive coordinator or possibly a head coach. Uh, the Cardinals, they go out and they're interviewing the Patriots defensive line coach, Demarcus Covington. To, he's supposed to be interviewed for the vacant defensive coordinator job. You know, I don't know if I like this move. You know, you Demarcus T Covington, he's the Patriots defensive line coach, but the Patriots defensive line wasn't that good this last season. It hasn't been good for a while, and he's getting interviewed for the defensive coordinator job. I mean, I know the Patriots defense was good this year in general, but I don't think it had much to do with the defensive line as much as it had to do with the linebackers in the secondary. Yeah, as, as much as it has to do with the system, it, it's <clears throat> it's one of those things. The the how does the saying go? The 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 sum is greater than the the than the whole of his parts. Yep. one of those type deals. However it goes, I think that might be a, the case here. Uh, good luck. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck over Good there, luck, Mr. Covington. Yeah, if he if he goes over to Arizona and, and becomes a defensive coordinator, he's not only going to have his work cut out for him in Arizona as the DC, just like Jonathan Gannon's going to have his work cut out for him as a head coach. But I also, you know, he he isn't that good of a of a defensive line coach. So how are you going to bring him in and have him be a good DC? I don't see it. Ooh, they're I mean they're they're dealing with the same batch of problems. Yeah. Uh he and he and Gannon. But at least they're in it together. Yeah, they'll be able to hold each other's hands all the way through the situation. <laughs> we'll see how that works out. Speaking of defensive coordinators, the Dolphins have hired Vic Fangio to be the new defensive hey. coordinator. Vic making his way back. He is a good uh defensive coordinator. Um, not so much a head coach, but a good defensive coordinator. Excellent so, defensive coordinator. I, I, I'll, I'll go so far as to say excellent yes. defensive coordinator. If there's one thing <clears throat> this man knows, is defense. Yes, absolutely. And, and damn it, he brings it. So, yeah, excellent hire. This is a good, very good hire. Yeah, they, their defense struggled last season. It was rough. And they have some good pieces over there on that defensive side of the ball. They just need a coach there to put it all together. And I think Vic Fangio, as a defensive coordinator, makes a lot of sense. It's it's a brilliant hire, to I be honest. It is. What, what they really need, though, they need uh, D-line help. Yes. I have not seen any, you know, no real pressure from the Dolphins' defense. I mean, the secondary is okay, but they definitely need D-line help. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, a, a team that he's familiar with, the Houston Texans, they're hiring the 49ers pass game coordinator, Bobby Slowick, as their new offensive coordinator. I, You know, I don't know how I feel about this one. Well, there's that whole tree thing again. Yeah, yeah, I guess. it's Their passing game wasn't really anything special with the 49ers, though, was it? I... You want well, Mike McDaniel has had success. Yeah. Right? From this system, from this from this tree. So I'm willing to 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 bet that it'll be just fine. Because you've seen what coming from that uh, Shanahan tree mm -hmm. has done for at least one coach. Yes. Right? Even though he's got elite talent at uh, at the wide receiver spots mm -hmm. over there in Miami. Yeah, but does. still you still gotta produce with it, regardless. Yeah. So yeah, I'm I'm willing to bet it'll be just fine. Yeah, the Texans are sort of a mess. They they do need a, a wide receiver too over there. They got Brandon Cooks over there, and that's about it. I mean, and he knows the guy, right? Yeah, right? you know, they've been in the same building for yep. for at least a year. Yep, there is I, a rapport. 
there's a rapport there. So, yep. you know, familiarity, <clears throat> hopefully it doesn't breed contempt, but it breed points. <laughs> let, let, for their sake, let's yes. hope. <laughs> I mean, that's going to be right. a mess. Uh, elsewhere around the AFC, uh, the Ravens, they're going to go ahead and franchise tag Lamar Jackson. They intend to keep him as their starting quarterback unless a large trade offer is made. What do you think? Do you think the Texans could be in the mix here? I mean, could get interesting. Oh, no, no, no. I don't think Houston wants to touch that. I don't think the as great as Lamar Jackson is at, at what he does when he does it, mm -hmm. right? You've seen the Lamar what are you doing game right right multiple turnovers you know i've seen him stumble and use his hand to keep himself propped up without going down but the ball right was in that same hand and he fumbled yeah. so I've, I've i've seen that game in look when he was at louisville i've seen it all throughout his career at baltimore in the last couple of seasons he's been injured missing multiple games especially now this past season missed the playoff game i it's getting to a point where it's gonna you know it'll get worse before it gets better in baltimore yeah with the uh, lamar jackson deal and the injuries piling up it's not going to help his case you know against with the uh, ravens or quite frankly with any other team that's always going to be in the back of their heads now yeah it's going to be a problem uh with 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 his injuries he's had two straight years of injuries there where it's put him on the shelf for extended periods of time he's got a ton of heart yep well and and even that's up for debate now i mean you you saw what happened with the playoffs this year it, look there is no way in hell that you can tell me that lamar jackson was not purposely sitting out of that playoff game because he didn't get his contract yeah. And and that bothers me. It may have uh, may have crept into the uh, <laughs> into his thought process a little bit, possibly. That, that's that's you know, what what they I immediately Deshaun thought. Watson. He wants that that Deshaun Watson contract, mm -hmm. and he wants the big money. Yep. But here's the thing, though. There's only so much that. How many games are you going to give us, though? Yeah, exactly. How many games are you going to give us? whether you're out due to injury or how many games you're going to give away when you throw a terrible interception yep. or you fumble, you know, earlier this seed, this past season, you know, against the Buffalo Bills and against the Miami Dolphins. He had the opportunity at the end of the game. And this is where your career and your seasons are defined at the end of the yep. game that's at what, the quarterback position. That's what it hinges on. What are you doing? Yep. Okay. I, I agree. And so they, he, he was not able to put the Baltimore, or excuse me, the Buffalo Bills away when they had a lead and it, it wasn't able to, to, to keep the Dolphins at bay yep. when the Dolphins came back against them in, in uh, week, uh, whatever week that was. Yep. So it was early on. Early in the season. So, yeah. Yeah, there's, there's questions to be had about Lamar. Um, the Ravens do have something interesting going on. Uh, originally, it was we had we had thought that Eric Bieniemy was going to be going to the Ravens. He was interviewing with them, and the rumor had him as the front runner. We thought he was signing with the Ravens. He pulls out last minute, goes to Washington. So the Ravens go out and they hire Georgia offensive coordinator Todd Monken as their new offensive coordinator. Interesting hire, but a good hire in my opinion. I actually am pretty impressed with Todd Monken over there in Georgia, and uh, this is I'm. I'm interested in the idea that they moved him up to offensive coordinator so quickly instead of making him a quarterback coach or something along those lines. 
it's kind of interesting. That's normally the transition. You move into the pros, you become a quarterback coach, you became this, you become that. Yeah. In this situation, he becomes an offensive coordinator straight away right out of Georgia. Georgia did have themselves a hell of a year. They win the national championship. Todd Monken was a huge reason for that. And it's also a big deal that he did it with Stetson Bennett, who I we we discussed as sort of an underrated guy. Sure did. But um, bootleg B team. Yeah, that's it. But is and he's sort of an underrated guy. But Todd Monken, if he if he truly is a guy that isn't that good, then Todd Monken made him something special. It's interesting to see that, and it, Todd Bonkin kind of fits that Ravens mold with the running game over there, how they like to run the football in Georgia. They like to run the football in Baltimore. Yeah. So he might be a good fit. What say you about Todd Bonkin? I agree 100%. It's going to be a run game based, professional football style. Yep. You know, traditional and take shots when necessary. Mm-hmm. Right, like on a Saturday night, possibly, <laughs> and you and you get what the defense gives, but you take a little bit more. Yes, right. And I think Mark Andrews, you know, can have a monster season uh, next year, or Isaiah likely could have a monster season with because uh, you saw what uh, the tight ends in at, at Georgia have been doing, especially Brock. Yeah, Brock doing doing incredible stuff over there. Yeah, so good, you know. Good hire by the uh, by the Ravens organization. Yeah, this is it's excellent a smart organization, by the way. Yeah, they they do have an excellent organization. They they have a, one of the best GMs in all of football. They know what they're doing. Yeah, yeah, they they know where they're headed, and and that head coach and the GM kind of work hand in hand over there in, in uh, with the Ravens. They do excellent work over there with their personnel. Um, and elsewhere around the division, there uh, the Browns QB and tight end coach Joe Pe- Joe. I'm sorry, Drew Pedsnig. Uh, hired by the Arizona Cardinals as their offensive coordinator. I don't like this at all. I don't like it at all. I mean, they, their tight ends have been eh. Their QBs have been eh. What are we doing here? Uh, the, the tight ends have been a little bit better than the quarterbacks yeah. in, in, in Cleveland. They ranked uh, uh, fifth overall in offense this past season. But here's the thing. A lot of that was due to, as you said, uh, off-air was Nick Chubb did, yep. a, did a ton of that. And the quarterback position last year with the Browns, it, it left a little to be desired. Yeah, we we, say. we talk about the offense and and how good the offense was, you know, for the Browns in certain spots. And oh, you know, look at all the look at how great their offense was. When you have Nick Chubb as your running back, and and yeah. you have Nick Chubb who was leading the league in rushing at one point. Yeah. Um. You know, and it was looking like he was just going to run away with it. It was like going to be a landslide here. This was just going to yeah. be Nick Chubb all year. Um, and he got hurt at one point and went down for a couple of games and kind of slid out of that spot. But I, if I'm not mistaken, I think he was still a top five running back. You know, I'm sorry, I I don't buy this at all. Drew Petsnig, uh, he's his quarterbacks have not been good, his tight ends have not been good, and and realistically, I mean, I, I'm not going to sit here and say that that he had like a, a star quarterback. Like we we know he didn't have a star, Jacoby Brissett, and. You know, I don't think that um, after two years of not playing ball that you were going to see Watson show oh, up and, yeah, be, really. you know, be incredible. Right. You know, he needs an entire offseason to learn. He needs he needs to play. He needs to get, get himself back on track here. And who knows if he'll ever get back on track. In football shape. Yeah, but, um, you know, this is a bad hire. I just I think this is a bad hire. He's not ready to be an offensive coordinator, as far as I'm concerned, in this league. I think he's not going to be able to fit what uh, they need, especially with Kyler Murray and 
it's just going to be rough. It is good because when you look at the defensive coordinator, uh, the D coordinator, mm-hmm. and and the head coach, there you got a defensive minded head coach. Yep. Right. So are they going to try to replicate what they did in Cleveland and and uh, and try to scale back as many passing attempts? Yep. In Arizona, but. Then you have to worry about Kyler Murray playing from the pocket at that point. Mm-hmm. And again, the offensive line age is a an injury is a major concern for the Arizona Cardinals. So it's going to be an uphill battle for uh, Mr. Drew. Yeah, I I, I I can't handle that. I, I it would be a it's a mess. It really is a mess. I I not a fan of that that move at all. Um, there's also some moves going around in the uh, the old NFC West there. The Panthers hire the Rams run game coordinator, Thomas Brown, to be their new offensive coordinator. This is another hire where, like, so the Rams lose their run game coordinator, but as far as I'm concerned, they're not losing much. The run game sucked with the Rams for the last several years, really. I mean, it hasn't been good. The only bright spots of that run game, I mean, since Todd Gurley, the, the, the only bright spots of that run game Evan, when they turn Cam Akers loose and actually let him play the way he should be playing, instead of benching him for Daryl Henderson, who, as far as I'm concerned, way overrated, um, and and really is just an overglorified change of pace back. This is silly, silly hire over here again. Another one where I'm going, what are we doing? And again, this is going to be predicated on the success of the offensive line, <clears throat> right? Again, the, the Rams' the, offensive line without uh, Andrew Whitworth right. was just dust. And and the Panthers, they don't have much of an offensive line over there either. When they haven't had, well, nope, haven't had one in the last few years. Right. That's why I'm like, what are we doing? They have a very good running back in Dante Foreman. Yes, Foreman. Uh, we we were pleasantly surprised when the the Christian McCaffrey trade happened and Foreman looked as good as he did. They have a number one running back there. Yeah, but I, I mean the Panthers are going to have their work cut out for them. They need a new offensive line. And then to, to pick up a, a, a running back coach that really didn't have a very good track record of producing good running games and running running backs in L.A., it doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, but one thing I will say is that the Panthers did hire a solid assistant head coach and running back coach in Deuce Staley. Deuce Staley, baby. I guess he went out there for an interview when Detroit got smacked. Yep, and uh, he got hired on as the the running back coach for uh, the Panthers, and uh, also put up the deuces. Yep, and then also the Panthers go out and hire the former Lions and Colts head coach Jim Caldwell as a senior assistant. What a hire! Excellent, excellent hire. What a hire! I just wish Steve Wilkes was there to see it. Yeah, I love love Jim Caldwell. I think Jim Caldwell got a bad rap in Detroit. I think Jim Caldwell is one of the best offensive minded coaches out there. This is a brilliant hire, and and you're probably paying him nickels on the dollar. He's a great uh, player coach. Yeah, right. He has uh, he he develops relationships, respectful relationships with his uh, with his players. Um, He's a guy that you can especially as a consultant as, as you put it he, you can talk to him mm-hmm. he you know man's man type of guy he won't uh, disrespect you treat you treat you with respect this is a, a great hire by by the uh by the Panthers excellent hire I, I like Jim Caldwell a lot I've liked Jim Caldwell for a while um, the fact that he wasn't hired on as a head coach 
He interviewed with the Broncos last year. The fact that he wasn't hired on as the Broncos head coach last Laughable. year. Laughable. Yeah, it, it was a joke. They went with Nathaniel Hackett instead of Jim Caldwell. Jim Caldwell is ten times the coach that Nathaniel Hackett is. Hey, as the great Jalen Rose once said, keep getting them checks. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of the Broncos, um, the ex-Jets and ex-Bills head coach and current analyst Rex Ryan has emerged as the front runner for the Broncos defensive coordinator job um, under Sean Payton. You got to remember, Sean Payton did work with Rob Ryan for a while there when he was in New Orleans. Rob Ryan, a part of that Super Bowl team that that went to the Super Bowl and won back in 2009. Rex actually was notorious for having great defenses, both with the Jets and with the Bills. Now he's looking at being the defensive coordinator for the Broncos. This could be a good situation. I like this. If they do hire him, I like the hire. They have a great foundation yes and on the defensive side of the ball so he's not gonna have to work with you know he's not gonna have to try to make you know chicken salad out of chicken bleep <laughs> but is rick really rex ryan rex ryan baby eh. oh rexy eh. <laughs> Man, just you know hey get them tv checks mm. enjoy the toes <laughs> And relax, man. <laughs> that's what I'm. That's what I'll just say. Rex Ryan, I, I think he's a good defensive coordinator. I like the hire, to be honest with you. I think he's a really good defensive mind. Um, he is. It, and it makes a lot of sense. But he's older. Yeah, he's getting older. Um, his brother Rob, you know, like I said, he was part of that Saint Super Bowl run. He was a special defensive coordinator too. Um, they they actually that that whole family. They're defensive minds. They know what they're doing. Um, I like Rex Ryan as a, as a potential defensive coordinator over there. But like you said, get them TV checks. Yeah. You're, you're getting older. Yeah, you know, man. You know? Did enjoy you, it. Andrew Evero. Yeah. He should still be there. He should. Instead, he's he's elsewhere. And, and uh, Sean luck. Payton let him go out the door to the Panthers. Terrible. Yep. It was, it was a bad, bad move. Bad but, move. hey, what can you do? Um, and then speaking of the Saints, since we were just talking about them, uh, the grand jury has indicted Saints running back Alvin Kamara on the assault charges stemming from an incident in Las Vegas in February 2022. If you remember, Kamara and several other men, including Cincinnati Bengals corner Chris Lamons and two others, allegedly punched and stomped a man in a Vegas nightclub. Um, you know... <sighs> I guess what happens in Vegas doesn't stay in Vegas. Not so much. <laughs> not so much. They lied to us, guys. Yeah, I know. Um, yeah, the wild situation, uh, takes place. Uh, do you think Alvin Kamara winds up, first of all, I, I don't think Alvin Kamara is going to wind up going to prison or anything like that. But what I do think is that we're going to see a suspension for Alvin Kamara coming in the future, right? Yeah, just bad optics. Yeah. So that's probably what the suspension will be. It's just bad optics. Doesn't look good. Yeah. I don't know what he did or what he didn't do. I'm, you know, I'm not here to yeah, the the video shows that that uh, Chris Lamons and and company, the, a man got too close. Uh -huh. You know, they they punches started yeah, being thrown. I haven't seen the video. Oh, yeah, so. punches started being thrown. Okay. Guy drops. They start stomping on him and punching mm. him and beating the brakes off the guy in the nightclub. It was. Did you see Kamara? You could see Alvin Kamara. You was know, he punching? Yes, he was. Was he uh, kicking? Yes, he was. Ah. Yeah. So he he was. <laughs> He was a part of it, but um, oh, you know, yeah. well, that's a suspension. It, it showed up last year, at the beginning of last year. Um, at least it, that's what it looked like to me on the video. You know, uh, it, but we'll just say allegedly. Yeah, <laughs> just allegedly. so allegedly, what allegedly happened. 
Um, but what basically, you know, it popped up last year that we were talking about Alvin Kamara and talking about his situation. Um, and we weren't sure that the NFL was going to suspend him because, you know, there was, you know, an alleged situation here in this nightclub. They said he was involved. Allegedly. We'll just continue with the allegedly um, because we don't want to have a Pat McAfee, Brett Favre situation. But, um, you know, allegedly that's what what was been, what had happened in this uh, nightclub. And, um, you know, we I thought a suspension was going to be laid down because a lot of times the league will go with this shoot first, ask questions later situation where they, they yep. just kind of say, okay, well, we're going to suspend you now for the first four games or whatever it is. Right, and, it doesn't matter what yeah. happens. It doesn't matter if there's a video or not. Yeah, you you were involved and this is that. You yep. know, so, you know, the league, I'm, I'm surprised they didn't dole out a suspension last year for, for what went on. So am I. Um, and if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, if I... If, I believe Camaro was seen in that situation punching and kicking. So I'll just continue with allegedly. allegedly. But it was it, it has turned into um, you know uh, uh, kind of a fiasco. Do you think that the league will lay down a suspension on Alvin Kamara here? I mean, where where do you think we head from here? Uh, I would I would guess probably. You know, if what if if the video is who if who on the video is who supposed yeah. they're claiming is on the video, then yeah, you're probably looking at a suspension. Yeah, um, according to and and I'll I'll read it to you from Eight News now. The Clark County Grand Jury has indicted Alvin Kamara and three others for allegedly beating a Las Vegas night uh, an alleged beating in a Las Vegas nightclub last year. Kamara, a running back for the Saints, and uh, Cincinnati cornerback Chris Lamons and two other men. Face criminal charges connected to the incident outside of a Las Vegas uh, strip nightclub on February 5th, 2022, during the NFL Pro Bowl weekend. The grand jury indicted Kamara Lamons, Christopher Young, and Percy Harris on Wednesday on charges of conspiracy to commit battery and battery resulting in substantial bodily harm. The victim, Darnell Green, was told uh, told Las Vegas Metro Police that he was waiting outside an elevator at Dry's nightclub alongside a group of people, including the four suspects. When some elevators door open, elevator doors opened, Kamara put his hand on the victim's chest to stop him from entering the elevator, police said. According to the police, the victim pushed Kamara's hand off his chest. Kamara shoved him before another suspect, identified as Lamons, punched Green and knocked him back against the wall. The grand jury indictment said Lamons hit Green in the head, neck, or upper chest, and that Kamara then charged Green in order to strike and or punch him about the head, neck, and chest and upper back and torso area. The, um... Indictment reads, while Darnell Green was on the floor in the narrow hallway, Kamara continued to strike and or punch him with his right hand while Percy Harris joined his co-defendants by kicking and or stomping the head, neck, and upper torso area. After briefly attempting to pull their co-defendants off of Darnell Green, Chris Lamons re-engaged by stomping and kicking Darnell Green about the body, and Darren Young joined in by delivering at least one kick and or stomp to the lower body of Darnell Green. Prosecutors also allege the four men allegedly captured, uh, avoided capture while leaving the scene. Green has filed a civil lawsuit in Louisiana asking for $10 million in damages. Woo! Woo! Videos and audio recordings taken in an SUV after the report assault, uh, uh, reported assault have not been released. The civil lawsuit includes still images from the surveillance video and transcription of the recording. That's from 8newsnow.com. Um, so he was involved in, in punching and kicking allegedly. Uh, this this Darnell uh, situation. <laughs> I, I just <laughs> it's, yep. So ten million dollar lawsuit. 
Um, four guys beating on one guy, according to uh, the police there. And uh, Camaro uh, allegedly was involved in the punching and or kicking. So we'll see what it was, was. They had already reached the 2,500-pound uh, limit, <laughs> weight limit. So Camara was just trying to keep the gentleman from possibly collapsing the elevator. Is, is that what we're going I with? I think that's the defense <laughs> that I would go with. I, I do think that, that it was probably Camara just wanting to have his own personal escort space What situation. were you doing in the elevator that you didn't want anybody else involved? Yeah, or, or maybe, you know, like like Camara, his two buddies, and, and obviously uh, Lamons, they got into the elevator. Hey, don't get too close to us. We're NFL players. I'm a superstar. Stay the hell away from me. I don't know you. You know, like it was their own personal elevator, and there we go. Or maybe... Or maybe Alvin Kamara was so concerned with the health of all of those around him, he was just checking the young man's heartbeat to make sure it was pumping blood at an acceptable <laughs> level. I don't know, man. This, it looks bad. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it does look bad. Um, it, it's an interesting situation over there with, uh, with him, but... Uh, yeah, that that's what how it's how it's coming about allegedly. Um, allegedly. Um, we do have some another guy that that did get suspended last year for an entire season. And uh, it was not alleged. It was not alleged. It was found that Calvin Ridley was gambling last year. He was suspended. Um, he gets traded from the Falcons to the Jags. Jags wide receiver Calvin Ridley has officially applied for reinstatement after being traded to the Jaguars. I think he's going to a great spot over there. I mean, a year away from football, obviously, we're going to see how he develops and see if he can be the same Calvin Ridley that we we saw, you know, uh, and I'm not going to say in the Arthur Smith system because we talked at length about how Arthur Smith has no idea what to do with a number one receiver. But going to the Jags, Doug Peterson, uh, we could, I mean, he could see a career resurgence, right? It's not like he got suspended at 33 years old, right? It's not right. like he missed a year in his, you know, upper mid thirties or something like that. He's still a young, really good player who, you know, made a mistake. Right. And suspension over. Time to get back to work. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. You, you know what it is. You know you know what not to do, what to do, what you can, what you, what you can't do. You sat down, put on timeout, now come back and do what you're supposed to be doing. Absolutely, absolutely. Don't. Great, great uh, addition though by the by the Jacksonville Jaguars. Great addition. Right, that receiving core is going to be dangerous, brother. Yeah, um, and we also have a a kind of a developing thing as well with uh, old Jalen Ramsey looking to uh, possibly get dealt. Um, the Rams are talking. Apparently, they're shopping him. There's several teams in the mix. Reportedly, the Steelers, the Jets, both in the mix, and now suddenly the Detroit Lions. Or in the mix, Jamal Williams mm. um, has been, I guess, on Twitter trying to recruit Jalen Ramsey to come to the Detroit Lions. Uh, the the Rams are shopping him around. You know, mm. Jalen Ramsey to Detroit could be big. Jalen Ramsey could be huge for the Jets. Jalen Ramsey to the Steelers though could be the best fit. What do you think, Jalen Ramsey? I mean, I think he garners at least a first rounder at this point, right? Oh, easily. Yeah, best easily. best corner in the league, right? Easily, still, you know, top three. We can debate the positions yeah. later, right? Right, right, right. Yeah, 
he's definitely um, one of the best. And I'm I'm just kind of thinking here. You put him in in a Jets uniform with Sauce Gardner on the other side, who was the number one corner in all of football last year. Given the div- you wouldn't be able to throw on him, right, man? <laughs> you know how much better that Jets defense. Oh, that Jets defense would be disgusting. They're already great. Woo. Yeah. So I'm I'm thinking about that, <laughs> uh, but with Detroit, I mean I. I mean, you're lined up alongside Alcuda. You know what? I'll tell you what. Brad Holmes has, has shown an ability to uh, select players in the later rounds. He, he did it in L.A., mm-hmm. and he's done it in Detroit. Yep. On the offensive side of the ball, Brad Holmes has been outstanding. Yeah, and on the, but on the defensive side of the ball, mm-hmm. he's, he's brought in key players, drafted key players at the, uh, in, in the later rounds. Yes. So, Sure. You can afford to to, to lose a, a first round draft pick. To, yeah. To uh to the Rams. Yeah. To get a, an all pro corner. All, why not? <laughs> why not? You know, and you have enough. You have two this year. Exactly. You have two. Why not? Deal it. You've shown <laughs> you've shown he's shown the ability to build a team and and put pieces in play. And and Brad Holmes he already knows what Ramsey can do, or else he wouldn't mm-hmm. have made the deal to go get him from Jacksonville in the first place. Right, right, right. Or been a part of the be a been a part of it, yeah. Yeah, be a part of it. I don't think he yeah. made the actual deal in that <laughs> case. But still. Still, yeah. He knows what he's doing. Great. So player. yeah. Why not? Yeah, why not? I I'd say go for it. Um other guys getting ready to wiggle around here. The biggest one, the sort of the elephant in the room now is Derek Carr was released by the Raiders after nine seasons. Um, he'll officially be able to sign anywhere as soon as he'd like, even before the league year starts. Because of when he was released, um, he wasn't released after the start of the league year. So he's officially a free agent, open, he's allowed to visit with teams, he's allowed to sign with anybody. He could sign tomorrow, So, which is, is crazy. Uh, the Raiders released him before his $40.4 million in future earnings become guaranteed. That saves them a boatload of cap space. Uh, he visited with the Jets this week. Honestly, I don't think he'd be a fit with the Jets. I think the Jets, if they're wanting to do anything, if they're wanting to win a Super Bowl, they should be going out and going after Aaron Rodgers, um, who is set to go into his four-day, four-night darkness retreat soon uh, to figure out what he wants to do with his NFL future. The Packers have said they're not going to deal him inside the NFC, so it's AFC bound for Aaron Rodgers or nothing. I mean... It's an interesting situation. Do you think Derek Carr goes to the Jets? Do you think he should be signed to the Jets? I don't think he should. I honestly, I, I think he should. Really? Yeah, because uh, what were we just talking about? The defense of the Jets. Yeah. He would have that behind him, right? That's fair. You've got a, a really good young receiver in, in Garrett Wilson. Uh, really good young running back in Brees Hall. Mm-hmm. The offensive line is better than the Raiders offensive oh, yeah. line. Oh, yeah. So it it wouldn't be a bad situation. Um, the division. Tough yeah, division. Tough division, but, you know, you know, not not terrible. Yeah. I mean, we've seen Buffalo stumble. We right? have. We I have. think we're watching the, we're witnessing the uh, the end of the, of the Belichick, you know. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're getting near the right? end of that. Getting near the end of that. And yep. Miami's got their own troubles and issues when, you know, when it comes to uh, the quarterback spot. Yes. And, and, and dealing. So, I don't know. Jess might be a good spot for him. It, it could be. I mean, we've seen Carr be sort of hot and cold 
throughout his career. Uh, we, we've seen him have red hot starts to the season yeah. and then have iffy second parts of the season. It's just been up and down for him, to be honest. And and I want to see if if uh, Carr can remain hot wherever he goes. I want to see if if he can find that that life elsewhere. Yeah. You know, sort of in the same way that Geno Smith did. I think Carr is better than Geno Smith by by a long shot. Yeah. But, um, you know, we got to see if he can get red hot. And there are other teams that are going to be out looking for the court, for a new quarterback. One of them is one we're going about to talk about, the Bucks. They go out and hire a new quarterback coach. Dave Canellis is their new OC. Oh, um, yeah. The, Dave Canellis, the former Seahawks quarterback coach. Well, I think that might be a good well, fit there you go. for Derek Carr there going to go, the Bucks. Derek. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> go to Tampa. Enjoy yeah. some weather. Yeah. Right? You don't... They don't. They don't expect too much. I mean, I guess they did just come off the Super Bowl two years ago. But here, hey, why not? Yeah, I think that would be the better fit, don't you? I mean, I mean, you got a re- two really good receivers that you're going to be throwing to. I mean, the defense will probably take a little step back. The offensive line ain't bad. No, not at all. It's definitely better than the Raiders. Yep. So, eh, yeah, why not go to Tampa? Yeah, creates an interesting situation. I would go to Tampa if I was Derek Carr. Warm weather? Yeah, that's where I'm going. Uh, the only issue I have there is is the head coach over there is not good. Mm-hmm. You know, so I mean that, that's that's the one problem you're going to run into is their head coach is useless. And neither was the one he was that he left in Vegas either. Yeah, nope. <laughs> so it, it'll be an interesting situation there. So you got to worry about the coaching staff. And last but not least around the league, uh, the Packers and running back Aaron Jones, they come to a deal to reduce his salary for the upcoming year. He'll only be paid $11 million. I think he was set to be paid 16 in the upcoming season, 15 or 16 somewhere in there. Um, but only $11 million for the 23-24 season. Um, that's a pretty big reduction for Aaron Jones. I'm sure they're just kicking that money into the future. Uh, this, is, this has got to be a restructure. There's no way a player is going to go, yeah, just pay me less. Yeah, no. Yeah, ain't Especially gonna a running back when the average right. career is, is about three years. Yeah, they, well, it's a, they, the average is about eight in the NFL, they said, but uh, that's that's about it. You know, you you don't have a long career. You don't, And not everybody's going to be Frank Gore. No, he's got a few, you know, he's piled up a couple of injuries here and there yep. over the last couple of years. Hey, and I don't know if he's, you know, I guess he likes it in Green Bay. Yeah, he must. Right, you must I? But I don't know how much you're going to like it in Green Bay when Aaron Rodgers is talking about going bye bye. Mm. You know, I mean that's that's going to be the question. It's going to be the yeah. question of the day. You're, they're about to try and free up fifty million dollars worth of cap space. Going to be a tough time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I don't say too much bad about the Packers. My wife is a huge. Fan. Oh, I'll, I'll say plenty bad about the Packers. <laughs> you know how I feel. But uh, that is our news around the league. Now, now, Boots, we're going to give ourselves a, uh, a quick break here. And then when we come back, we're going to be talking about our upcoming draft prospects. We do have some offensive line prospects to go through. Um, we're also going to be talking a little bit about the NFC North. We're going to start going through these divisions. I want to start with the NFC North this week. We're going to talk about off-season plans, what these teams need to do in order to be successful. We're going to start talking about those. next. This week, we're going to talk about the NFC North. But next week, we're going to do a deep dive into those. It's going to be a good time. But uh, we're going to take a quick break here. We'll be right back talking about the NFC North and our offensive line prospects right here on the Outside Blitz. At It's Your Time Massage, you get all the benefits of one of the larger massage chain parlors, but in a more intimate and personal setting. With four years' experience, massage therapist and owner Amanda Yataz's goal is to help people in a natural way. 
offering Swedish deep tissue, pregnancy, aromatherapy, and sports massages. You will feel better and have more energy in just one hour. It's Your Time Massage is offered in-home, Amanda's or yours. With the rates ranging from $55 to $130, you get professional quality at an affordable rate. Contact Amanda today at 313-686-4347 or online at iytmassage.com. It's Your Time Massage, a natural way to improve your well-being. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Outside Blitz. Uh, once again, I'm your host, the fabulous one, Scotty Freytown, along with my co-host, the Bootleg Better Boots. We got uh, our last segment of the show. We're going to do the whole deep dive thing, I think, next show. We're going to do a whole deep dive into the uh, the divisions of the NFL. So we're going to jump into each division. We're going to talk about each team and what they need to do this upcoming offseason um, lots of stuff going on. We got free agency around the corner, so we want to jump into that next show. We're going to get it just before free agency comes out. Um, that that show will be in two weeks' time. So we'll have, we'll be back here in uh, about the uh, two weeks. That will be on Saturday, March the fourth. So that'll be when we jump into it. But for now, we've got NFL draft prospects that we're going to finish the show out with. Uh, we've been doing position by position. This one's kind of an interesting one. So we decided to do our offensive line prospects for this week. Um, and we just did offensive line as a whole because we don't like to do, you know, offensive tackle and offensive guard and, and center. It's it's all kind of one thing. So we just did our offensive line as a whole, all of our prospects um, all the way down the line. And next week we'll wind up jumping into defensive linemen. We'll jump into that a little bit. Uh, maybe linebackers. We, we're, I know we're going to be doing all the defensive backs together. We're going to be talking about them. So offensive line prospects. This encompasses offensive tackle, offensive guard, and center is what we're going to be looking at this week. And uh, instead of doing just five prospects, we did ten because we are encompassing technically three positions on that line. Yeah. Um, so moving into that offensive line stuff, our first, I want to talk about this first guy because I got fired up about him, and a lot of people are going to hate this uh, this selection, I guess. But I love this selection because uh, he's a guard out of Florida. It's Osiris Torrance um, out of Florida. He, he was an outstanding guard. He's a gigantic human being, 6'5", 347. Uh, he has excellent run-blocking skills, balanced footwork. He's got more than adequate strength to push around uh, the opposition in the interior um, he's easily the best interior run blocker in this class. Uh, he's strong in pass protection. He has a good punch. Um, nice hand placement off the line. He gets him right in the chest there. He has the ability to throw around the opposing interior defenders with ease. Um, over 3,000 career snaps as a four-year starter. Didn't give up a sack. He can play both guard positions on either side. He has experience at both. Um, the only downers to him, he struggles uh, stopping the interior speed and bull rushers. Uh, he gets kind of caught off guard by him. He plays with his pads a little high in pass protection. It hurts that power that he has. He's lucky he's as strong as he is. I mean, otherwise his pass protection might not be so good. He'd be a top five pick if he played offensive tackle rather than guard, but he should still go first round. Um, 
a lot of people are going to hate this because he's not an offensive tackle. A lot of times we see the offensive tackles, and the offensive tackles wind up being the, the bell of the ball on these offensive linemen. In this situation, I like Torrance a lot. I think an offensive guard situation, I mean, it's not a bad thing. Last time we saw an offensive guard be an impact player, I mean, was the cat that went to the Indianapolis Colts. You know, so I mean, and that was years ago when Quentin Nelson. And he changed the the game as far as, because remember Andrew Luck, that prior year had been the most hit quarterback. Quentin Nelson comes in, completely different story. Here we are, Osiris Torrance. I think this could be a game-changing type of offensive guard. What say you here? Osiris Torrance uh, started his career at uh, Louisiana. Yes. And transferred to Florida. Yep. So he is a, a definite uh, diamond in the rough, so to speak. He is a wonderfully just adaptable at either position, and I think he would fit best in the NFL at the right tackle position. That's kind of where where I'm thinking about. Mm -hmm. uh, he played wonderful uh, ball in the Senior Bowl. Yes. In the recent Senior Bowl. I like him a lot. I like him a lot. I'm not just saying that because I'm a Florida fan. I really do. I like Osiris Torrance. Very strong. Very big. I agree with I agree with your uh, scouting report there, Scott. Very nice. Yeah, he uh, he good. started in Louisiana, and and obviously you start in Louisiana, you're you're uh, um, you're not going to get picked up by as many people. You're not going to be looked at by as many folks. Uh, he winds up going to Florida just to get on the bigger stage, and and a lot of people, you know, a lot of times you see guys that go from a a lower tier school and they go to a higher-tier school in a higher-tier division, and they struggle. And they disappear. Right? Yep. And and Torrance, he wasn't that way. He stood out in these situations, and, and I thought he was an excellent uh, pickup for uh, the Florida Gators there. And I do think he's the best offensive line prospect out of this class. Uh, most people, though, are going to be talking about my number two guy here, and that's going to be Peter Skaronsky out of Northwestern. He's the offensive tackle. Um on the plus side for Skaronsky, he's he's the perfect combination of intelligence and athleticism. I mean, he he has excellent technical skills. His hand use coming off the line is really nice. He's got really solid lateral movement and footwork. He's a good run blocker, and he's got the ability to create gaps, mostly in those power run situations, which could be a fit for, if you think about it, the Tennessee Titans, given their current situation with a guy like Taylor Luan. Um, the best, he's the best pass blocker in the draft. Um, the cons, he lacks power and size. Okay, he, He's a, to be a starting left tackle in the NFL. He's going to project more as a right tackle than anything, in my opinion. Um, well, and, and the hand technique is great. The lack of arm length makes it tough for him to get his hands on opposing defenders, which is kind of tough. Um, he'll likely be better suited for that right tackle position. Most scouts may attempt him to kick him to a guard position, um, which is interesting, but because of the short arms, it could happen. But that could also make or break his NFL career because he does have that lack of size and strength. He, he's he's not the biggest guy coming out of this draft. Um, teams will struggle to find the proper spot for him as an NFL starter, which is why I dropped him in my number two. Even though he's an offensive tackle, and I understand offensive tackles are sort of at a premium in the NFL, and especially in the NFL draft, we're always looking for those outside guys to protect our quarterback, and whatever the case may be. I do think that Torrance is the better of the two. And I do think that Skaronsky, even though he might go earlier than Torrance, I think that would be a mistake for teams that are looking for good, uh, you know, a good offensive lineman. Torrance is a good guard. He's going to protect the interior much better than I think Skaronsky will on the outside. 
Uh, what say you about Skaronski here? I really like uh, Skaronski. According to uh, DraftScout.com, he's uh, he's got a five point one nine forty. Yep. Low of five point oh eight. High of five two eight. Uh, he's going to be at the combine. Pro day is March fourteenth. Mm-hmm. I think because of what he was able to do at Northwestern as a true freshman. Yep. Stepped right into the lineup and and was able to right the ship because the the off you never talk about offensive line play in Northwestern. Right. But for the last two years or three years, they've had some really strong linemen now going to the NFL. Yes. And that, that, that's an arrow in the right direction. So. I do like Skaronski. I agree. He's a little, little under. I mean, six four three fifteen. It's hard to say that he's undersized, but but if you're going to kick him inside, yeah, that's going to be going to be a little rough. Yeah, for him. Yeah, he should probably be on the uh, uh, on the outside. Yeah, on the outside. I think at a right tackle position. I don't know that I necessarily completely trust him as a blindside offensive tackle. Right. He's got a great <clears throat> technique, though. Yes. He's got a fantastic technique, and when you have great technique and foundation and a base, you can you can play against anybody. Absolutely. It's hard for to use a spin move against Skaronsky because he has a really good hand placement. Yep. So. And that, that's the big thing about him is his technique is, is out of this world. Yeah. Uh, number three, a guy that could play left tackle, um, Roderick Jones, uh, the offensive tackle out of Georgia. Um, he was touted as the most athletic offensive lineman in the entire draft with not just excellent strength, but he's got mind-blowing quickness and speed. Um, he's excellent at creating lanes, finishing blocks. He has extra spa- he, he creates extra space at the second level on running plays. Uh, he's very aggressive with his hands. Um, he comes off the line. He's got an excellent punch, and, and he just brutalizes whoever draws his blocking assignment. Um, he's able to mirror opposing edge rushers just beautifully. He didn't allow a single sack at the left tackle position in 2022. Um, now, as far as, but it's it's kind of worth mentioning he does have a lack of experience. He's got only 22 starts in college. He does struggle a bit with uh, his balance uh, due to his aggressiveness. He's so focused on making uh, uh, his blocks when it comes, he, he likes to lunge into his blocks. Uh, and he kind of leaves his midsection exposed which can cause balance problems for him. He needs to work on his technique rather than just using his pure God-given athleticism. You know, uh, He anchors well. He seemingly just kind of stops after the initial contact is made, though. He'll just, he, he doesn't really drive his feet forward. Um, he seems to get leverage better in pass blocking than he does in run blocking. He'll likely pan out again as a right tackle, maybe even an offensive guard, um, but he may lack the sides to be an interior offensive lineman, that size is going to be a problem for him, just like Skaronsky. Um, I think this guy, he even though he didn't give up a single sack at the left tackle position in 2022, the NFL is a completely different animal. And and when I see a guy that that is going to anchor down the way he does, and that's what he does. He gets hit, and he just kind of stops. There's no drive there. The footwork needs some work. I, I think he's going to wind up being a right tackle, and, and I don't see him being a blindside kind of guy. What, what do you think? Uh, Broderick Jones runs a four nine eight forty, uh, low of four eight seven, high five oh eight. Fast. Yeah, yeah. For for alignment. Yeah. A sub five. Okay, I'll take that. I'll take that because if when you can get into the second level, and then and then even the third level mm-hmm. to to get blocks, then we're now we're talking right because we're blocking downfield. And if you got the speed to get downfield, hey, 
I mean, he's already a, a projected first round pick anyway, right? Yeah, so absolutely. we already know he's got the talent. Yep. So now you tell me he he runs a four nine forty and get downfield. I'll take it. Mm -hmm. He's he's got a pro day of uh, March fifteenth, but it says something to go again back to back national champions. Mm -hmm. And when you're a key component to that, yeah, yeah, I'm taking a look at you. I, I agree. I like I agree. Um, number four goes to a guy who, you know, I think a lot of the Ohio State fans are going to be clamoring for. Uh, Paris Johnson, Jr., out of the, uh, he's the offensive tackle out of Ohio State. This guy's big. Uh, 6'6", 3'10", he excels as a run blocker. Um, he looks comfortable setting the edge. He's got the ability to finish blocks. Uh, he's an incredibly smart guy. He's got no problem identifying incoming blitz packages, especially in pass protection. Uh, and, and he can handle incoming bull rushers with ease. He's got the talent to be an impressive pole blocker and, and follow it up by creating blocks at the second level. Uh, he's got excellent lateral movement. He's one of the most athletic offensive linemen in this class. Um, although he's big, his height is the main problem, and, and it makes it difficult, him, difficulty for, di ah, excuse me, difficult for him to get his pads low enough and maintain that leverage on the line. He's only got one year of experience at the offensive tackle position. He lacks a strong punch off the line in spite of his arms being, I mean, his wingspan is ridiculous. He, he has a tendency to get a little overly aggressive. He's almost pursuing incoming defensive linemen rather than letting the opponents come to him. Uh, he's going to need to work on his pass blocking, which may land him as more of a right tackle than a left blindside left tackle. But ultimately... I, I do think he he's uh, solid. Most people, most of these scouts have him ranked above Broderick Jones. I actually yeah. think Dr Jones is the better of the two. Uh, from what I was looking, he was ranked ahead of, of Jones. He's ranked as the number one uh, Paris Johnson Jr. is. Mm -hmm. uh, 5.1240, low of 5.02, high of 5.24. He'll be at the Combine. Pro day is uh, March 23rd. Mm -hmm. He's. I didn't see... Okay, when you look at the Ohio State offense, right, you got C.J. Stroud back there, and he's just throwing to, as Ross Tucker would say, wide-ass open receivers, Yep. right? <laughs> a lot of that comes from his, his – I didn't see C.J. Stroud take a whole lot of sacks all season until they played Michigan. Exactly. So that might be an issue, but I think uh, Paris Johnson Jr. will keep the quarterback clean for the most part. Mm. He's, you know – Again, he's athletic. He, he's he's really good. It says something when you've got multiple guys on your offensive line considered NFL draft prospects. Yes, and the other one we'll you know talk about him a little later. But I like Paris Johnson Jr. I like him a lot. Yeah, most of them are in the top ten, yeah. at, at least on our list. You know, but I mean, most of them really are in the top ten in general as well. I mean, Ohio State's just got a litany of of key players out here. Yeah. Uh, number five goes to a guy out of Oklahoma, um, Anton Harrison. Uh, this guy is a pass-blocking extraordinaire. I mean, he's one of the best in the country. Um, number two, uh, actually, in, in pass-blocking. Uh, he has all the ability in the world to be a left tackle, uh, especially on the blind side. He's got excellent lateral movement. He's got the ability to mirror the opposing defensive ends and edge rushers and allows the quarterback to effectively step up in the pocket uh, rather than letting the pocket collapse from the outside, it's crazy. A lot of these guys, the way he blocks them, they just blow right past him. They blow right past the pocket. They can't even get in there. Um, he's got a strong punch off the line. He's got excellent hand placement. He pops pass rushers upright, 
and then it allows him to get leverage underneath him. It's the damnedest thing I've seen. He just whacks him. It's almost like watching uh, uh, Rock'em Sock'em Robots. Um, he surrendered just four sacks in three years of college football. He's got a high motor. He's got the willingness to come up to the second level and make those blocks. Um, but the downsides to him, he won't have the ability to kick inside to the guard position. Um, he's purely an offensive tackle specialist kind of guy. If his the down one big thing about that punch, as effective as it is most times, if that punch doesn't get opposing defenders to stand up right. He finds himself with a serious lack of leverage, and he's getting pushed around. I, I and you watched it on several. Uh, you get to see it on several occasions. He'll miss with that punch, and he play. It winds up with him playing with his pads high, and they just push him around. He needs to work uh, as a lead run blocker for the downhill rushers, but he does create holes effectively on the edge. He could use some work on his direct uh, on his detection of the assorted blitz packages as well. The um uh. Blitz packages when it comes to like these exotic looks, he he doesn't seem to pick up on it as quickly as, as some of the uh, other offensive linemen in this draft. Anton Harrison out of Oklahoma, what do you make of him? Uh, goes back to looking at why why it has open receivers in Oklahoma, especially uh, Marvin Mims. Multiple times, you know, you see Dylan Gabriel deliver the ball 40, 50 yards downfield mm-hmm. to uh, to these guys. And that's attributed to uh, Anton Harrison. He's got uh, round two projected uh, stock, runs a 5.2740, low of 5.17, high of 5.38. Uh, he'll be at the combine, and his pro day is March 30th. He's a very good player. I don't see anything, you know, super uh, wrong with wrong with this game. But I agree, he's uh, probably just an an, an outside. Uh, an outside tackle. Yeah, he's going to be a left tackle, I think. I, I think as far as his pass blocking goes, that's kind of where he heads. Yeah. Um, I mean, and but that's good. That's a good thing because the left tackle is, is the most important tackle. Let's be real. I mean, I like a good right tackle, but if you're a left tackle, you've got to – your most left tackles are protecting the blind side. Him being as good of a pass blocker as he is, I could see him being a left tackle in some of these, uh, uh, you know, pass-heavy schemes – Patrick Mahomes would love a guy like this, especially with Orlando Brown getting ready to go bye bye. I think um, so. Anton Harrison should be on everybody's radar. Buffalo might like that. Guy. Buffalo too, yeah. Um, number six goes to, and this is an underrated position. Goes to a center, uh, John Michael Schmitz out of the uh, Minnesota Golden Gophers. Um, he's a tremendous run blocker. He was he's been rated the best run blocker in the country for two straight seasons. Um, he's intelligent. He's a smart guy. He makes proper reads at the line when it comes to identifying different blitz packages. Um, he's got great size. He's very prototypical for what you'd look for in a center. He's not too tall, but he's not too short. He gives ideal pad height and gives him it gives him more of a significant leverage advantage. And he's a big mauler type of run blocker who keeps his legs churning and pushing through the defenders to create lanes. Um, the downside, he's a decent pass blocker. He's not great, but he's decent. Um, when he's in run protection, he pushes through to the second level, but when he's in pass protection, he kind of stays put. He doesn't keep those legs churning. He needs to keep his pads lower in the pass protection area in the same fashion as he does in his run blocking. It seems like he's he's really enthusiastic about run blocking, but then when we get to yeah. pass blocking time, it's like, meh. Um, and he's an older guy. He's he's going to be 24, and, and I, I, it's crazy to me to say that this is an older guy, but in NFL draft prospect speak, we're talking about 24 years old in his rookie season, which is older than most prospects, and he's only played center. So, you know, a lot of teams will be looking at centers and 
lot of times you see centers get kicked out to guard and whatever the case. He's not going to be able to be kicked out to that guard position, I don't think. I think he's going to be kind of pigeonholed to that center position. If you're looking for a pure center, John Michael Schmitz is your guy. Um, Boots, what do you got on John Michael Schmitz here? Uh, Schmitz, I'll say this. When you look at the running back spot in uh, Minnesota. Yes. Muhammad Ibrahim. We love him. Love him. <laughs> you always falling forward, but you see these third, and this will be a theme uh, with me a, a couple times today, with three oh, 30, 40, 50-yard runs, mm-hmm. and that's coming directly off the back and the shoulder pads of John Michael Schmidt. So yep. I, like what I, I like what I've seen with that Minnesota running game, mm-hmm. and a lot of that's coming straight from him. He's a projected first-rounder. Absolutely. Right? Uh, runs a five three forty, five low of five two two and high of five forty. He'll be at the uh, combine pro day uh, March fifteenth. Very good in the run game. Yep, very very good. Uh, they don't throw it a ton in Minnesota. No, right? they don't. Well, damn near at all. Um, so that's going to be very telling um, to see what he looks like in, in pass pro consistently. And, and if he can do it. So the combine is going to be very, very, very telling to see uh, where he's going to land. But he's projected as a first-round pick. I like him. Yeah, I, I not, think I think when we're, bad. when we're talking about, um, you know, Schmitz here, I, I think he winds up going to a run-heavy team. I do think, like, the Seattle Seahawks would love this guy. I think that the Tennessee Titans would love this guy. When, when you get a team that is so run-heavy um, and, and – you get a center of this caliber that that understands the run game, that understands how it works. John Michael Schmitz makes a lot of sense in these situations, um, I, and I, I think he'll be uh, an excellent fit for a lot of these teams that need a good run blocking center. Uh, he's a smart guy too. He he audibles at the line and everything. He calls out the uh, the uh, hot rushers there. So uh, keep an eye on him. Number seven is an interesting one. He was also a 2022 Walter Camp uh, second team uh, member. So. Well, wow. So he, he does have the accolades as well. Um, seven goes to an interesting guy, Dewan Jones. He's one of those Ooh. offensive tackle guys. Um, big mammoth of a man, six foot eight, 375 pounds. I watched the Ohio State, a few of those Ohio State games, and every time. The size of that man stood out every time on tape. Um, he's got great arm strength. He's got great arm length. He's got excellent technique with his hands, and he just brutalizes defenders when he's run blocking. I mean, he creates run lanes using that massive size. He just tosses people aside. He makes smaller blitzing edge rushers and light linebackers just look like light work at this point. Like he'll just he'll grab them and just throw them like it's Ooh. nobody's business. Um, he's got great footwork. He's got the ability to mirror opposing defenders laterally to set the edge and create the pocket. The biggest con to him is his height. Believe it or not, as big as he is at six foot eight, his height will be an issue at the pro level because opposing defenders, obviously, the lower you are, the more leverage you're going to get, and that's going to be the big problem for him. He played. He's almost forced to play with his pads high. Yeah. Um, He's likely going to be relegated to a right tackle type of situation as he played very few snaps at left tackle. Um, he's too tall to play interior def- offensive line. So it's it's like right tackle or bust for this guy. Um, he's got a tendency to rely too much on his hands and that reach. 
than focusing on his footwork, probably because he doesn't want to let opposing defenders get too close and have that leverage lower than him. Um, but he does have an issue with keeping up with the speedier edge rushers that will finesse their way into the pocket and with those spin moves and counters. He's quick, but he's not fast, if that makes sense. He in And that's going to be a problem for him as far as those speedier edge rushers. Those guys like to do those spin moves and stunts. He's going to have problems with that. Uh, what's your take on Juwan, no, Juwan, I'm sorry, Dewan Jones? There we go, the big man out of Ohio State. Big man. Bigfoot. Six, Big. eight, 375. <laughs> yeah. Huge. Come on, man. He always stood out. I was watching tape. I'm like, well, I'd have no problem finding that guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was always in the back. Every class photo, he in the back. Do I get the back? Yep. <laughs> Taller than the teacher. Yep. He's, uh, no, he, I saw him at the, uh, the, uh, Reese's Senior Bowl, uh, and he was dominant. Yes, in, in multiple facets of the game, I agree spot on with the uh, with the assessment, Scotty. Because at that height, it's almost impossible to get correct uh, uh, pad level. Right. right, it's almost impossible just because of the way that you're built. It no no fault of his, right? Right. And so again, leverage will determine a lot of his success or or not. And again, against those smaller edge rushers, maybe. You know he'll negate that size with the the speed advantage over Russia. So yeah, I like him a lot. Uh, he's projected as a round three guy. Uh, he'll be at the uh, combine, obviously. And his pro day is uh, March twenty second. Mm. But uh, he runs a five five three. You know that's almost to be expected. Yeah. Right. So, but I like him a lot, man. He gets his hands on you. You're not moving. Yeah, yeah. That's that's the big thing about it is is those Strong. small. Yeah. Those smaller, faster guys, they'll be able to outspeed him and outfinesse him in certain situations. But if he gets a hold of them, then it's over. Then it's over. It's it's almost like the wrestler versus the boxer. You know, we yeah. always talk about that. Yeah. You know, and this is kind of the similar situation: the the wrestler versus the boxer. He's the wrestler, and if he gets a hold of that little boxer, he's just going to chuck him across the field, and yeah. and that's what he does. He just manhandles yeah. people. Hard to throw punches with your arms at your side. Right. Exactly. Right. So that's that's what he's got going on. Dewan Jones, he's projected as a third rounder. I could potentially see him going earlier because people love Just that because size. Of the size. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I could yeah. I could see that happening. Um, next up, number eight, uh, and and you'll have to you know Luke Whipler, Whipler, uh, the center out of Ohio State. You'll have to forgive my pronunciation of the name. Um, this guy is great in both pass and run blocking. Uh, he graded out as the number two pass blocking center in the country. Um, great work up front uh, and down the middle. He in running downs. He he creates running lanes. He pushes opponents and and uh, defensive tackles and nose tackles off their spot with his technique. Uh, he's got perfect size for the position. Six three three hundred uh, three hundred pounds. He's got incredible speed for the position. Uh, good footwork. He uses his hands effectively. He's able to really get them working in unison and, and get his hands working in conjunction. With the other, uh, with his feet and legs, effectively the upper body matches the lower body. He's got strong technique overall. Um, the cons, though, he's going to need to get to the second level to make blocks, and he does. But he doesn't execute the second level blocks effectively. He, he'd rather use a punch rather than getting a hold of that second level defender and kind of pushing him. Um, questions about his power are there. Most scouts says that his power is mediocre and that he relies more on his technical abilities than anything. 
and his arm length is incredibly short. He's got some of the shortest arms in this draft. I think it's like 6%. Like he's in the bottom 6% uh, for, for his uh, arm length. Uh, Luke Wipler, Whipler, Wipler, however you pronounce his name, um, out of Ohio State, solid center. Uh, what, what do you make of him? Uh, I, like I said, I think he's solid in pass and running. Um, number two pass blocking center in the country. What do you think, Boots? Yeah, again, going back to what what I've said earlier about uh, Paris Johnson. When you look at the open receivers and the and the wide open scheme, man, Brian Hartline schemes those guys open. Oh yeah, but you need to protect the quarterback and. And you've seen with Ryan Day's offense at Ohio State, they're just chucking the ball all day long. All day. Driving rainstorm in Northwestern. Doesn't matter. We're still going to chuck it. Ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But, <laughs> when, but you know, Weipler is a very good center, uh, professional center. He's, you know, he, he, can do, he can do what's needed and when needed. And mm-hmm. his pass blocking is his strength. So yes. I think he's a... Uh, a great prospect. Yeah, I think he's an excellent prospect. Any pass first team is going to be looking at, at Luke Weipler. Here. Yeah, yeah, I, and that's that's kind of what I'm I'm thinking. And there are teams out there that need centers right now. If you if you're looking for a center, hey, uh, Chargers, look at Luke Weipler. He might be your guy if you're looking for a pass first situation here. Yeah, um, he, he's pretty excellent. Uh, number nine goes to a guy, my boy, out of uh, <laughs> out of the my my newly my my newly acquired team. From college football out of USC, Andrew Voorhees, the Voorhees. offensive guard. Voorhees, he was the Trojans' best offensive lineman in 2022. Uh, he's incredibly sl- strong. He can bench 225 pounds 40 times, uh, according mm. to their strength coach over there. He eviscerates opposing defenders in the run game. I mean, he just puts them out of commission on running downs. It's insane. Uh, he's able to get to the second level. He's got the size and strength to handle the opposing bull rushers. He possesses the ability to anchor down. Um, he doesn't let opposing defenders get away from him when he's got a hold of him. Like he gets a hold of him, and that's it. It's game over. Um, the only cons on him, he's got questionable technique with his hands. He can't seem to find the rhythm between his upper and lower half, which seems to be an ongoing problem. He relies on his punch off the line and pass protection, but because of his poor hand technique, it doesn't always hit home as much as he would like. And because of the fact that he's trying to land his initial punch, he often makes himself susceptible to counter moves coming off the line. Guys will just kind of blow right by him, spin moves, things like that. He'll need to be quicker in pass protection. That's going to be the big thing for him. He's going to have to get his upper and lower body moving in unison, and he's going to have to be quicker in pass protection and identifying those incoming blitzes. But I love Andrew Voorhees. I think people are sort of sleeping on this guy. I think he's a really solid offensive guard out of USC. What do you think of Voorhees? Six six three twenty five. Little tall, <laughs> a little tall for the interior. For the interior, he yep. may have to kick out to uh, to a uh, tackle. I think he would fit best as a uh, right tackle, sort of like mm-hmm. uh, Charles Cross. Yes, um, uh, out there in Seattle. But uh, yeah, he's projected a third to fourth rounder, uh, coming off of a uh, October undisclosed injury. Yes, he was hurt this uh, last year, and he and he <coughs> did uh, miss the. Uh, the Cotton Bowl, yeah, uh, against Tulane. So that you know, really, really wanted to hone in and, and watch him uh, in that game, and and did get the opportunity to. Uh, but he's going to be at the combine. No, uh, no information on the pro date or anything, or pro day or anything. But he's 
One of the best in the uh, one of the best in the class. Yep, one yeah. of the best in the class. I, I think from an interior perspective, he's going to be just fine. He's just got to work on the pass blocking. From a, and if you looked at how USC ran the football this year, very effective. They were very effective on the ground. Travis Dye, Austin Jones, Caleb Williams at the yep. quarterback position. Yep, they they moved well. Uh, Voorhees would be, a, in my opinion, a fit for a team like Baltimore. I think he would be a, for a fit for a place like Philadelphia. I think that would be an excellent spot for him. A place like Buffalo, where you have a quarterback yeah. that's mobile, um, and and I think that that would be really helpful for those teams that that need to get their their mobile quarterback moving. Yeah, he's the kind of guy that that's good for that in the run game. If he works on his pass game, we're having a different conversation about Andrew Voorhees. But I think he can develop into a solid uh, pass protection type of uh, guard. There, don't you? Born on Camp Crystal Lake. Yeah, I think <laughs> cousin Jason. I think. Yep. Yeah, no, he's yep, really yep. good. That's it. Uh, he's going to go out there stabbing people. Mm-hmm. Um, and then <laughs> number 10, uh, my last prospect. And this guy, he could surprise a lot of people. This guy is sort of a sleeper in this situation. Uh, Steve Avila, uh, mm-hmm. the center out of TCU. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, man, I like him a lot. He's a quiet, quietly, and, and he's ranked actually higher than Voorhees. I like Voorhees better, but Avila makes, he's turning some heads here. Uh, he's got the ability to both play center and guard, so he does have that versatility. Um, great as a run blocker. He makes effective blocks at the second level with no problem at all. Uh, he played 2022 at the left guard position after playing center in 2020 and 2021. So he, he's got the he's got the experience at, at both uh, positions there. Smith, silky smooth footwork. I mean, I loved watching it. I was like, man, look at him go. He moves beautifully. Uh, great upper and lower body strength. Uh, to push through opposing defenders, he's got the uh, able to. He's the uh, ah, easy for me to say. He's got the ability to identify blitz packages on the line, and he calls them out at the line, which is huge as a center. Um, the downside: he's effective in pass blocking, but only seemingly in tighter quarters. He's the kind of guy that you really need to kind of have in like a tight situation in the trenches, kind of in like a phone booth, you know. Um, he's going to struggle struggle with moving laterally against the more rangy and faster speed rushers, and he's got a tendency to get a little too handsy in certain situations, I noticed, particularly when he needs to reach after getting beat on stunts, which he causes holding penalties. We see those flags fly. Going to have to work on, on being a little more fundamentally sound, I think, in that situation. But Steve Avila is one guy that I think a lot of people are going to be going, hmm. Hmm, that TCU center is uh, not too shabby, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Avila, 6'3", 331. Woo! 6'3", 331. Mm-hmm. Uh, Going to be at the combine. He's projected as a second-round guy. Uh, pro day is March 30th. What I go back to when I watch TCU, I watch their goal line play. Yeah. Right? A lot. And when, they're, when they get in the red zone, when they get down on the goal line, I saw a lot of touchdowns. Yep. Uh, DeMarcado, Kendra Miller, even Max Duggan. Uh, and that was a lot of that was due to Avila's ability to push off the line. Yes. They he he gets a lot of push and I like I like the way he plays. I'm I'm a little old school when it comes to offensive linemen. Mm-hmm. I'm of the mentality move the guy off the ball. Yep. Right, push get, him. Get me a yard or two. Get him off of the line to get our to give our running backs a shot. Yes, at something and getting 
and getting positive yardage, and he <clears> does that just about every single time. Yeah, I I've not seen him give up too many sacks. I've never seen him get you know bowled over. You know, there are very few times has he given up something straight up the middle uh, that I've seen when I've watched him play. So I I, I like him as a uh, as a center. And and that's where I'm with you here. I I'm like like you said, we're very old school offensive linemen. I like my interior linemen to be these big mauling type of guys that are going to go out there and and hammer on running backs. Um, and which is why I like Voorhees so much as far uh, above uh, Avila here. I think both these guys are going to be effective at a pro level. Yeah. Avila, because he has a little more versatility, but not only that, he's solid in pass blocking. He's solid in run blocking. He's he's not the kind of guy that, that is um, – Avila is not the kind of guy that, that's just going to fall to the wayside here. You're going to find a role for him somewhere yeah. somewhere in your offense. And then Voorhees, he's just so damn strong. Yeah. I mean, he's just—he's a big, nasty, aggressive, ruthless, volatile inside offensive lineman that's just gonna throw you around like like you. And he's—he's he's smart. Yeah. I mean, he was the the best offensive lineman for the Trojans last year. I like Voorhees more than Avila, but I think both these guys are gonna be stellar at the uh, pro level. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. What do you got for me, Boots? Well. I've got a few additions to the bootleg B team. The, the bootleg B team. Let's see what we right? got. And the B stands for boss. <laughs> right? Now, the bootleg B team, I, I've highlighted three guys at the uh, two at the tackle position, mm. one at the center. Now, these guys are, are, are you know, the bootleg versions of, of uh, a few of our favorite guys here that we've got projected in the first round. So, mm -hmm. at number one, the, uh, the left tackle position, the bootleg version of Paris Johnson. Ooh will be Mr. Carter Warren out of Pitt. Oh, okay. okay. Red shirt senior. He's 6'5", 323 pounds. Right runs a 5'240", 5'14", below, 5'32", high. He's projected as a fifth-round guy. Now, he did have an undisclosed injury in October of 22. Now, this guy's got 21 starts in 23 games of the 1920 season. He's second team all ACC in the 21 season and voted captain in the 22 season. Okay, big number 77. This brother is an excellent run blocker. He pulls well, he traps blocks, and he looks good, and he looks for more blocks downfield. When you look at Pittsburgh's, uh, the Panthers running backs, okay, they've eaten chunks of yards. We're talking about guys like Rodney Hammond, the guys like Vincent Davis, but the most the more the special one of the of the bunch is Israel Abikaneda, mm. if I'm pronouncing that right. I Israel believe you Abikaneda, man, this guy is a game breaker. And I've seen multiple 30, 40, 50, 60 yard runs by Abikaneda, and it's due to a lot of what Carter Warren is doing down the field, right? Because he gets into the second level. Right, he moves well in space, and he looks for more blocks. I've seen him block at safeties and in, in, in corners. Uh, he's got a strong base, and when he locks in, you don't move. Yeah. Right. Yep. But uh, he sometimes okay, and and, and on, on the cons because everybody's got some, you know these are all prospects. They've got stuff to work on. Mm -hmm. Right. And the cons sometimes he sets a little too late, and will he allow defenders to get into his upper body? Causing him to bend a little bit too much. Yes. Okay. Now, the undisclosed injury in October, he was out for the year. He was a captain at the time, so I don't think he was, you know, trying to set out for anything. But that might be a concern. Yeah. Uh, and Pitt doesn't throw it a lot. 
No, they don't. So he wasn't asked uh, to pass protect that much. That's just the way that Pitt runs offense. But when he does, he is still very good. Um, he needs to set his hands a little bit faster, though, a little sooner and and, and set up. But mm-hmm. he, he looks around for more blocks. He's, he's very good. Uh, I think his best fit would be in a place like Tennessee or uh, Indianapolis, run-based offenses that can accentuate his strengths. Yeah, uh, really. he uh... – well, the things about Carter Warren that that you know I've seen on him, um, he's not as aggressive as you'd like. You know, he's not that that big mauling type of, of guy that you're going to want. Um, he did a great job. He, he's more of a finesse type of guy, which is fantastic. He he was really good at protecting Kenny Pickett last year. Um, he protected Kenny Pickett's blind side, which I mean was was pretty uh, special. He's he's not a, an aggressive guy though. He's not he's not he gets to the second level. He's not you know dropping guys in the dirt and walking over him or anything like that. He's he's the kind of guy that that is going to finesse his way, create the lane, you know, with his yeah. technique more than anything. Yeah. Um that that's the kind of stuff and you he know, uses his, he uses his his body positioning well. Oh right? yeah. Especially in the second level cuz a lot of times you get holding penalties from guys, you know, Absolutely. downfield. But he just shields more defenders and he doesn't hold. Yes. Exactly, and a lot of that, he has good hip movement when he does that. Yeah. You know, really solid hip movement. He really does have the ability to angle uh, well. He just, you know, yeah. when he, he hits the angle, but he's not yeah. aggressive in the angle, and that's right. that's going to be the downer on him. I do agree with you. I think he's a great compliment uh, or a great um, uh, compar- comparative guy to Paris Johnson. Um, I, I do think that, that um, he should go higher. I don't think fifth round. Man, I I can't believe could be he's because of the injury. Yeah, the injury right. might be dropping him a little bit. I think he could be. He's still going to be a day three guy. If he goes higher than round three on day two, I'll be surprised. Yeah. Um, I I don't see him going higher than round three. But if he goes later in this draft, if he is a day three guy, then he's going to be special. You know, and yeah. and I I really do. You, you found a a diamond in the rough there, fourth fifth round. It'd be an excellent selection. So I like that one a lot. You got any others for me? I do. I do. Bootleg B-team rolls on. <laughs> All right. At, uh, at the right tackle, we got the bootleg version of Peter Skaronsky. Oh, wow. And uh, that would be right tackle Mr. Darnell Wright. Darnell of, Wright. Uh, University of Tennessee. 6'5", 342 pounds. Okay. Runs a 5'340", low of 5'27", and high of 5'48". Projected second to third round, so he's not not a first round guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Twenty nine starts the last three years. Okay, this is why I put him on the list because he's got fourteen starts at right tackle, two at right guard, thirteen at left tackle in twenty one. So that shows his versatility right, along the uh, offensive line, as evidenced by thirteen starts at left tackle in, in uh, twenty one. And in those thirteen starts, Hendon Hooker set career highs in uh, touchdown-to-interception ratio. That's because he had the time to throw the football. Uh, Darnell Wright, very athletic, moves well in space, and he's uh, very good in the run game. He's a big man, 6'5", 345, does not get moved easily. Um, and he doesn't set heavy, right? When when they, uh, when he's run blocking or pass protecting, and his or especially run blocking in the his fingers are in the dirt. He doesn't set too heavy. Right. Right? He, he's not over, he's not leaning over too much, and he and he's not setting back too far. 
uh, in in his pass protecting. He uh, but he needs to uh, set a little faster and a little sooner. Uh, he can get lazy in technique mm -hmm. uh, late in the game, and he'll let his arms drop too low in pass protection, allowing defenders either into his chest or it allows defenders around the edge, causing him to chase, and 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 that leads to uh, holding calls. Yeah, uh, his he's got um, he's six six, and and it's a similar thing to to Paris Johnson. Um, you know the height can be an issue. Yeah. Um, it allows guys to to get underneath them, and that's that's always been a problem. He plays a little high, uh, does get uh, give up that leverage, and, and it's mostly in the pass blocking schemes that he does that. Yeah. Seems like his run blocking schemes when when he's when he's blocking in the run. I mean, it's it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, and he drives. When it comes to the pass blocking, though, he plays real high, gets knocked off, causes a balance issue. We got to get him a little bit lower. You know they yeah. they gotta they gotta figure out a way to get him lower and gain that leverage and use his power. You are right though; he gets a little lazy um, later on in the games. We have seen that where he's just kind of like, eh, okay, yeah, just let this let's get this game over with. You know yeah. he's got to play 100 yeah. of the way all the way through, and that heart issue is going to cause a problem. That that issue of of you know the heart to play the game. You know, mm -hmm. like I mm -hmm. the the guts, the the yeah. high motor. That's this type of stuff that that. NFL scouts and coaches, they hate that shit. And yeah. you, we've seen guys, Kayvon Thibodeau is a great example. We were talking about him as a number one overall guy. Yeah. And and because he was lazy, he got busted down to a number six overall. You know, that's that's a couple million bucks that you lose there. Yeah. Based on the fact that you come off as lazy or arrogant or like you're a superstar. And when you're maybe just a guy and they look at you as just another guy, you know, so you haven't earned it yet. Yeah. You know, what are you talking about? Yep, exactly. So so that might be a, a very similar situation here. He might be falling toward the uh, fifth or sixth round. Yeah. Yeah. And I got one more uh, along the offensive line because we had so many guys before. I was only going to do uh, three, three guys here for the bootleg B team. B stands for boss. Uh, we're looking <laughs> at the center position. The bootleg Ooh. version of John Michael Schmitz wow. would be Mr. Sincere Hainsworth, senior out of the University of Tulane. A stand 6'1", 300 pounds. He runs a 5'3", 640, low of 5'2", 5", and high of 5'4", 5 5". Mm -hmm. He had uh, five starts at right guard in 11 games as a true freshman. 12 starts at center. Uh, he was second team all ACC in the 2020 season. And 12 starts at center, third team all AAC last year. So I really like uh, Sincere Hainsworth. It's a theme. He moves people off of the ball. Yep. Okay. Number one, he sets quickly after his uh, shotgun snaps. Yeah. I, I like that in, in, the, in his pass game. Sets quickly and he and he looks for uh, blitzes and he looks for blocks. He really has a, a a knack for the run game, and as evidenced by the fifteen hundred plus rush yards by uh, running back Tajay Spears. Let me tell you about Tajay. Watch out for Tajay <laughs> yeah. Spears. Over two hundred plus yards in that Cotton Bowl against uh, USC, mm -hmm. it, it, and a lot of that was coming again straight off the back and the shoulder pads of Mister Sincere Hainsworth. Yes. Uh, I love the way he gets to the second level, and on the goal line, even though he's not he's not big, I, I say big. He's six 
six one, three hundred pounds. Not big. That sounds yeah. ridiculous, well, right? But well, he's but he's powerful. He's, yeah, he's prototypical though for the center for position. For the center position, yeah, exactly. Yeah, prototypical size for the <clears> center <throat> spot. But he's powerful, and he's and he's got uh, he got little little things to work on, uh, such a little technique things. But he's got a tendency to lean forward at the uh, a little bit too much mm-hmm. when he sets to run block, and that can can lead to. Uh, poor positioning and and defenders getting into the uh, backfield, but man, I really do like Sincere Hainsworth out of University of Tulane. Yeah, so we got three guys on the bootleg uh, B team offensive line. Yeah, his uh, Hainsworth's uh, run run blocking is outstanding. Uh, everything I've I've read, everything I've seen, everything I've I've heard about this guy, he gets to the second level. He can make these blocks on the move, which is exactly what you need in those situations. Yeah. You know, your guy breaks loose, you need to be able to do that. But not only that, um, he, uh, uh, when it comes to his pass blocking, he's really mechanical in it. You know, it's yeah. and, and that's that's a big problem for him, is his pass blocking. You know, and, and looking at some of his pass blocking grades, and this is according to, to NFL Draft Buzz, which is an incredible website if you guys want to check that out. Um, you know, his... So he's projected to be an undrafted free agent, which is a steal in this situation, yeah. you know. Yeah. But if you look at, um, you know, he oversets, he's getting beat inside. According to NFL Draft Buzz, they say he'll punch at smaller defenders instead of latching on and is more of a mauler than a mover in the run game. He can improve maintaining uh, outside leverage when doubling the nose. He ducks his head and he gets too upright. It causes him to fall off his second-level blocks. As a pass protector... Hainsworth gets caught reaching and lunging when matched up with quickness. So he's going to have a problem, I think, with, with some of the faster bull rushers, those speed rushers types of guys. Yeah. But ultimately, um, you know, as a run blocker, he's yeah. pretty outstanding. And, and he sounds like, like it, from, from what I'm reading and what, I'm, what I've been seeing, like just little short clips, he looks like he fit really well in a zone run scheme yeah. where he kicks outside, kicks outside, makes those blocks along the edge. I think he would be an excellent fit for something like that. Um, he is athletic. Yeah, yeah, he's an athlete. So I mean, you, it would be kind of interesting. You could, you could see him come in, and I, I do think he's going to start as a backup center. But we've seen how these centers can develop, um, yeah. and that center position. If if you can figure out what your niche is, that's a whole different animal. Shoot, the the Minnesota Vikings. Yeah, lost two. Yeah, in the, in the last three weeks of the regular season mm-hmm. and, and heading into the playoffs. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, I know he's uh, not projected as a as a top guy, or if he'll even be at the combine. But I really like the way he plays. And when you look at the rushing yards that Tulane was able to produce, sure. And then you go back and see, okay, well, who's you know who's doing work here? Yeah, right. And <laughs> you know, because Tulane was consistently putting up points, consistently. Tajay Spears at the running back position, Michael Pratt at the quarterback position. He mm-hmm. was running the ball very effectively in the Tulane offense, and you saw what they did to, to USC. They only lost Tulane only lost two games all year. Yeah. So, you know, so you you got to look at who's on that offensive line and who's providing that punch uh, for the running back, Tajay Spears. Yep. And uh, Hainsworth, man, he he's going to be a, a potentially a. a star in this league if and he's going to develop he's going to take time to develop but i think he could potentially be a star and those are our prospects uh for the offensive line for the upcoming nfl draft at the end of april we are uh only about what was it a couple weeks away from from free agency opening up only a couple of weeks from from the uh from the uh, uh 
start of the league year and, and all the franchise tags happening and we're we're gonna be figuring out some stuff in the next couple yeah. of weeks. Yeah. So it's tough to project where, where these prospects are going are going to go. We can say all day, okay, he fits well in this scheme. He yes. fits well at this with this team. But until we see where free agents land where Right, right. Then you're gonna really get a get a get a taste of 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 uh, the, the mock draft, or you know, then they'll be a little bit more accurate once we see the free agency. Yeah. Uh, now we're things are gonna get a little interesting here because in in about two weeks' time it'll be March fourth. We are gonna record that day, uh, March fourth, because it'll be you know a two week span. We want to still be delivering you guys content, so that will be happening. Pumping out content. Yeah, pumping out content for you. Um, March the 11th, though. We're going to be talking a little bit about March the 11th because on March the 11th, that'll be a couple of days before free agency opens up. I believe it opens up on the 14th of March, which is a Tuesday. Um, so uh, we'll be we'll be talking on that day, and then we got to follow it up the following week. So we're going to have three straight weeks of recording. The 4th, the 11th, and the 18th. Bootsy, you all right with that? Already ready. <laughs> so we're going to... We're going to have three straight weeks of recording going over the free agency stuff. We And then, man, free agency day is huge. We we're, There's going to be so many it's signings. Like Christmas and, for oh, NFL owners. Yeah, it's it's Christmas for NFL owners. And for us here on the show, we get to go through all those signings. <laughs> and it's a lot. It's a lot. I, mean, I think last year, Tyler and I sat down a week after free agency day. And just on the news about free agents... We probably went about three hours. It was wild. We we had Woo. so many signings, and uh, the legal tampering period opens up. Obviously, I believe on Monday the thirteenth, if I'm not mistaken. So we're going to be seeing this stuff open up, and we, you know, we, folks, you can find those dates on NFL.com. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. If if, if I'm right, hey, check it out. But uh, free agency, you got a pretty good track record. Right yeah, yeah. Free agency week is that week, so get ready for that. I, I believe it opens up at four o'clock p.m. on the fourteenth, but. Um, we'll be, so the 4th, the 11th, the 18th, we'll be doing those shows. And then our, our next show after that will be April the 1st, which will be, uh, Russell, the first day of WrestleMania folks. Uh-oh. Hope you're ready for that. So we'll be doing that. And then, It'll uh, be the grandest show of them all. Yeah. I mean, outside of this one, come on now, but, um, that's what I'm saying. It'll be the grandest <laughs> show of them all. And then, uh, obviously we'll be doing the 15th and then we'll be doing NFL draft stuff. The draft will be around the corner. We're going to have to jump into our pre-draft and post-draft episodes. Those will be entertaining as all hell. Obviously, I'm going to be coming out with my three-round mock, as I do every year, so you folks will see that. We'll be putting that up on the uh, the Outside Blitch Facebook page, so you guys can check that out. Feel free to follow us on there. Very excited that, that we're going to be uh, opening that stuff up. This league year, this offseason, is going to be a fun one. and uh, I'm excited. It's going to be a turning point for a lot of different teams. Uh, so, folks, get ready, saddle up. That's all going to be going on. And before we get out of here, we got to... Congratulations, Eric Bien. Yes, congratulations to him. Uh, and before we get out of here, we got to talk about a few uh, different businesses around the around the bend here. First of all, let's talk about Face Kicked Apparel. Uh, Sean Stockmeyer and company, he is an outstanding uh, T-shirt guy. He does all your custom shirts, hats, hoodies, pants. You name it, you pick it, he sticks it. Let him kick you in the face. Yeah, over at facekickedapparel.com. And, uh, folks, uh, for all you wrestlers out there, that's the place to get your merch. I've seen some good stuff come out of there. So please check out face check out facekickedapparel.com. Also want to give a shout-out to patchmiraclephotography.com. Uh, Andrew and his wonderful wife, Chantel, they do outstanding work. Uh, they did all of our wedding photos. You looking for wedding photos? 
Patch Miracle Photography. I've never seen you look better, Scotty. Oh, yeah. I, I was uh, styling and profiling that day. Um, and actually, in every photo he does, I, I look damn good in those photos. It's about as nice as I'll ever see myself, too. Um, <laughs> if you're looking for baby pictures, if you're looking for maternity pictures, if you're looking for senior photos, if you're looking for uh, uh, engagement photos, if you're looking to do a sexy boudoir shoot for that special someone in your life, check it out, patchmiraclephotography.com. They do tremendous work, the most professional photos you're ever going to get. I highly recommend it. Um, and Andrew and Chantel, they're going to make your your special day extra special. Please go over to PatchMiraclePhotography.com if you're looking to get some photos taken. I uh, also want to give a shout-out to It's Your Time Massage, our longest-running sponsor over here. Uh, it's Your Time Massage. Amanda's a wonderful massage therapist. She does outstanding work. Um, Swedish and deep tissue massages. She does use CBD oil if you'd like. Uh, and and honestly, Rome, if you have, if you haven't got one, Boots Man, I recommend you get a massage. Get yourself a massage. Uh, we're a couple of wrestlers. Damn, it's awesome. I, I got one a, a few years ago. It felt like golf balls moving in my back. My back was so beat up and smashed, but I felt like I could stand up straight for the first time in years. That's because you work the world of. You got the weight of the world on your shoulders. <laughs> is that what it is? That's why, man. <laughs> and, uh, man, I, I just I love It's Your Time Massage. I always recommend people get yourself a massage, iytmassage.com, or you can check her out on Facebook at It's Your Time Massage, LLC. Um, real quick before, uh, I, I know you're excited for this one, I ate cookies out of the garbage, right? I ate cookies out of the trash. Out of the trash, that's Wonderful. right. Wonderful. Wonderful book written by a wonderful new author, Tammy Pruitt. Yes. Go get the book today. I ate cookies Order. out of the trash. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Google, online only. It's not in the stores, so you don't have to go out amongst the unwashed masses. <laughs> you can stay home in the comfortable couch, bed, slippers, robe, yes. whatever, and order I ate cookies out of the trash. I wonderful ate cookies book. out of the trash. Yeah, I, I've been hearing wonderful things about this book. Um, I got to see Tammy recently, and, and she was telling us about her book. Um, it's been out in the world for a week now, so it's a brand new read. Um, and I'll tell you what, it, it, it's an excellent book. It's a crazy journey. If you if you get the chance to read it, pick it up. Um, and uh, her hardcover version, right? Hardcover just released. Yep. It, it's out now. It's available under Prime on Amazon, so you get to get it quicker. Um, and the quality is out of this world, okay? And, and it's for just a couple dollars extra. I mean, it's it's worth it. It's thicker. It's more sturdy. It's printed on directly on the cover, not one of those BS paper sleeves that you see all the time. <laughs> so uh, check it out. I ate cookies out of the trash. Uh, I definitely recommend it by Tammy Pruitt. Uh, last but not least... We want to talk about our boys over there at Big Willie Dubs Gaming. Big Will doing some crazy stuff over there, over on his gaming channel right there on Twitch. Will is doing awesome stuff. I love watching his TikToks. I keep talking about his TikToks. I'm always on TikTok, <laughs> scrolling while I'm at work. I see his TikTok videos. They are fun to watch. This guy, he's, he makes me little music videos. It makes it very entertaining. Um, if you get to watch his uh, stream over there on Twitch, please do. Uh, Big Willie Dubs Gaming, yes. fun stuff, uh, doing a lot of Modern Warfare stuff. And last but not least, our boy Alex, who couldn't be here today, uh, the Cannonball. Check out Steel Brothers Gaming. Those guys are doing some fun stuff with their voice acting. It's very entertaining. Uh, doing a lot of the, uh, oh gosh, the Ace Attorney series is what they've been doing a lot of lately. And I love watching those. Their voice acting is fun. Um, 
and I, I didn't know they had that talent. I've known Alex and, and his brother Andrew for years, and I didn't know they had that talent. They possessed that talent, but they do. They do possess that talent, including a, a very thick German accent. I, I never uh, <laughs> very, it was uh, wild. I, I didn't know I, that they, they possessed that ability. I, I definitely... Deal got the juice. Yeah, they're killing it over there. So check it out. That I, th- I think they're doing that every Wednesday. And they, he plays other games as well, a lot of the um, uh, Super Mario RPGs, the Paper Mario, stuff like that. So check it out. Uh, Steel Brothers Gaming, formerly known as Condor's Gaming Corner. Now it's Steel Brothers Gaming. Please check it out over there on Twitch. And Boots, that's our show. I just want to say, you're probably talking about us because we're the only thing to talk about. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. And, uh, folks, we'll see you next time. Uh, in two weeks, right here on the Outside Blitz.